This is the Territory Story Podcast with Peter and the Professor. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome wherever you're listening. Thanks for joining us. This is the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers. I'd like to introduce my co-host, the dame herself, Elizabeth Spencer, the prof. How are you going, Professor? Great to see you, Peter. Um, I'm well, thank you. I, I did my Zumba class today for the first time ever. So, you know, you've never done one life before. is good. I've never done one. So that was great. So my impression is, is it's a lot of loud music and a lot of kicking and mm, let's get loud and yeah. dancing and just sort of trying to pretend there's no one else in the room. No, shake your booty. No, no, it's very, Dance it's very like social. nobody's watching. Yeah, no, no, it's not like it's not like um what's that one? No lights, no lycra. It's not like that. Right. You wanna you wanna you wanna everyone to to be, you know, interacting. You kind of you go to oh. either side of the room and you you go back and forth and you connect and you're you're you know, you're all shaking your bums and you know it's fantastic, really. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to go back. How many people in the class? I think there were like twenty. 30, wow. 20, okay. 20 or 30. A lot of people, all women except for one guy. Oh, just going to ask. So is it, <laughs> is it mixed or is it no what you identify time. as? It was funny when I arrived, I said, oh, this is my first time. And they said, oh, it's okay. You know, usually they're more men. And I was like, oh, I, like okay, <laughs> whatever. The girls, yeah. the girls were playing it down because there weren't more men there. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But um, <laughs> but, but I, I had the sense it's mostly women. But um, yeah, because right. I mean, I don't know too many men who were really that into shaking their hips and sort of belly dancing stuff. <clears throat> but the, the one fellow mm. who was there was having a great time. So, yeah, mm. I yeah, recommend right. it. Okay, well, I'll take that under advisement. Um, I guess yeah. we should uh, introduce our guest for this episode, Liz. Um, a fellow that uh, I haven't known for all that long, but I think as soon as I met him, I said, mate, we need to get you on a podcast. So we finally made that happen. I'd like to introduce you and the Territory Story family to Ryan Sage. Welcome, Ryan, to the podcast. Hey, Peter. How are you, mate? Hi, oh, Ryan. well, thank you. Hi, Liz. So, Ryan... For those who are uninitiated in the Territory Story podcast, how we generally kick this off is with a very simple question or statement, and that is, tell us your territory story. And to give you some uh, more background to that, really, there's very few people that are born and bred Territorians. And uh, all of this might well, This might be one of them. Well, it might be. We have been surprised a couple of times, but I'm pretty sure in Ryan's case, that isn't the case. So tell us your territory story, where are you from, where'd you grow up, grow up, go to school, family, all that sort of stuff. And we'll drill down as you go anyway. Sure. Yeah, so born in Echuca, Victoria, on the Murray there. Uh, first time with territory, probably early 2000s. And uh, my grandfather at the time was the chef out at the Borrelula Boat and Fishing Club out King Ash Bay when it was uh, in its infancy, back when your membership got you a block of land out there at the boat fishing club. Really? Yeah, uh, that was the that was the deal. So you become a member. It might have cost $100 a year and you allocated a block of land that you can put your caravan on. Or I'm not sure if you could build, but you could definitely put some sort of um, dwelling on. And mm. uh, he was out there for a few years. Family holiday took us there. I enjoyed it bought a 15 kilo shovel nose shark and I was really into fishing at the time and I knew I'd be back one day, I just didn't know when. Yeah. So you'd been 
previously catching carp in the Murray before then? That's right, mate. It was riddled with carp, but these days it's all about catching cod. It's actually hard to catch carp, so they tell me. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the rivers have been really stocked up full of uh, good, you know, catching fish and a lot of regulations about catch and release down there, so people yeah. aren't um, rape and pillaging the, the rivers and uh, it's actually hard to catch carp. So, wow. Did you yeah. say card? Card? Card's not a river fish, is it? Yeah, it can now? be, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I've got a big Murray cod down there that uh, swims the fresh waters of the south of, you know, southern part of Australia. Does, it, does the river cod taste a lot different from the um, ocean cod? Yeah, I, yeah, it, it does. I can't say I really ate it that much growing up because it was so rare to catch, but um, I think any saltwater fish is probably better than freshwater fish as far as tasting is concerned. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. All right, so originally from Echuca, uh that's where you went to school? Yeah, that's right. Can you um, spill the beans on the uh, schooling? Uh, which schools well, you went to? Oh, if you want. I don't know if it interests the viewers or listeners, but uh, I went to. No, I don't think we probably school. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I can tell you some interesting things. I suppose Chuck uh, East Primary School, uh, made up of a, probably a couple hundred kids, uh, and then one, one interesting thing I want to share with you is, which is really off topic was uh, I'd become quite disillusioned with the world at an early age, let's just say, and I still continue to be to some degree. Um, I, I thought I'd done pretty well at school. I, um, I got pretty good grades and I got sent to the principal's office for doing good things, not bad things, as a young kid and followed the rules. And uh, it was grade six and we had to nominate school captains and it was part of this exercise doing about democracy and uh, voting and you know, forming political parties, etc. Um, that was a precursor to the actual voting. So we learned about democracies and stuff. And there's about probably 50 to 60 kids in the year level in, in year six. And it'd come time to voting and people, peers cast their votes. And uh, I think what happened was the overall say went to the teachers because uh, the two people who won school captain were the... Uh, both the teachers, the grade six teachers, son and daughter, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, so nothing, nothing thought, like real democracy. Yeah. Can I just, I can I just tell you, <laughs> just to cut in there, yeah. I've just been through exactly the same thing in Victoria, where where my kids were at a local country primary school, and the nepotism was next level, and. Exactly the same thing happened where certain teachers' children got got everything and every award and yeah. It, it was it was just unfathomable to watch because in any other system you would think in this day and age parents would be harder on their kids, but it uh, still goes on to this day, my friend. Yeah, and it, it got better than that. You know, like I said, I probably wasn't the smartest or wasn't the best or but I was well liked. I would think and i'd like to think my peers thought the same way and uh i thought that's okay we've got four houses so capacity murray goulburn and of course it's another river down there but i, I forget it right now capacity murray goulburn on oh, mitchell with after the explorer oh, yeah. i think yeah or there was a mitchell creek down there as well anyway um i thought well because it was like four, four captains and then four vice captains i thought surely i ought to get captain here i didn't get that 
didn't get vice captain, but I did score myself was bin monitor. So I was t- <laughs> so it was my job to to watch at the bin and monitor the bin, and if it got too full, I'd have to empty that out, and that was my role. And uh, you know, fast forward another kind of almost thirty years, and I find myself in some cases, and we probably won't go there, doing the same thing. The bin monitor still today. Some things just never change. Yeah. Well, it's it's a role of great trust, so it's uh, it's nice that they entrusted you with such an important role. Yeah, I tell you what, if people didn't empty bins, there'd be uh, there'd be a lot of trouble everywhere. In, in fact, yeah. So it is, I suppose, an important role. <laughs> it is now from primary school. Where'd you head to? Uh just literally, uh, we headed as a family across the river. So we moved from Victoria to New South Wales. To a place called Myama, and mm. I continued my school in Echuca because there was no secondary school in Myama. So every day oh. I'd commute across, commute across the bridge. We'd go yep. back and forth and back and forth across the states. Ended up Echuca High School. Um, some people might be familiar with the new bridge that spans the the rivers there, and I say rivers because it spans a couple. It's it's a massive bridge. I haven't actually had the pleasure of crossing it yet, but. At the, the foothills of that bridge is where our school used to be, and I say used to, past tense, because they've demolished it. And uh, wow. a, funny, a funny funny, story, I remember in, I think, grade, oh, sorry, year seven or eight, we are all asked to contribute to the time capsule. So you're to put um, a letter in, uh, maybe a drawing or something. I, I vividly remember drawing a picture of a redfin fish because I was obsessed with fishing at the time, and I put it into this time capsule which was kind of positioned in front of the principal's office, as I remember. And obviously I've been away from Echuca a long time and I found out that the bridge was going across and I contacted the local newspaper. I said, hey, there's a time capsule in there somewhere. Make sure the, uh, you know, the, the civil works team don't dig it up or destroy it or whatever. And uh, mm. they never got back to me. I don't know what happened to it, but uh, that school's just a memory now. Yeah. Well, there, there's what? still the, um, the memorial plaque. This is where Ryan Sage was a bin monitor. <laughs> right. I wonder if you put so a bit of rubbish. So did you put a bit of rubbish in the time capsule? <laughs> I probably did, mate. I probably it probably was all rubbish. I'm just re- remembering it as a, as a beautiful picture and a, and a beautiful letter. It's probably all just rubbish, mate. Yeah. I've got like an original. Um, you remember the? Kind uh, of can't remember what they're called now. That the the orange triangular frozen things. That there was the Raz, the Glug, and the um... oh the yeah I was at Sunny Boy. I was only speaking the about Boy, them the other yeah. day. I was thinking about we should bring them back somehow. We should somehow produce them and bring them back. They were they were great. They were brilliant, and and it was. Did, did you, you just can you describe those because we didn't have those yeah. in America? Mm, um, I, I mean, what, what besides they were triangular well, and orange well, and red. So you know, um, I think you call them icicles, don't you? The the what we call icy pole on a stick. Yeah, we didn't call them icy poles. That sort of had, you know, weird connotations. So, um, so- yeah, well, I don't, all I can describe <laughs> it is, is like basically, basically, it was it was extremely sweet cordial that was frozen inside a rectangular style wrapper and enclosed. Yeah. And when you got it, it was a sol- a solid brick of ice, but it was the mm. flavor of whatever the cordial that was in there. Yeah. And, It'd take you about an hour or two to eat it because it just didn't seem to melt that quickly. And then was your mouth all orange afterwards? That's what we have popsicles in mouth. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, popsicles. That's it. Popsicles. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's right. 
Similar to that, but just didn't have a stick. I guess the manufacturers decided it was cheaper to make it no, that way. No stick. And once in, you, you just cut you cut down one side and sort of squeeze it a bit till you got a tip of it, and you just start, and it would eventually melt. That you get a bit of juice out. And it it was a production. Poor Ryan's childhood. He was a yeah. bin monitor, and he didn't have a stick for his popsicles. <laughs> no, 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 no wonder your life is miserable now. <laughs> oh God, there has to be a good side. There has to be, there has to be some good news story here. Well, well good news is the, the, every now and then you get a free one because they they put a free inside the inside the wrapper. <laughs> Uh, I think I think the good news story uh, out of all of growing up in the schools and stuff was that my house that I, that I grew up in kind of bordered this massive bush area, and then our school was just surrounded by bush, which was um, it suited me. It, it suited me, so that was mm-hmm. the the great part, I suppose. Um, growing up in it, it's kind of it's not it's not a rural place anymore. We wouldn't even call it a regional place. It's um. It's its own city now, Chukamoma. It's massive. Mm. And it's sort of, for, for you, Liz, um, if you're not familiar with it, it it's literally, as, as Ryan just said, it's it's re- usually always referred to as a Chukamoama, but it's two different towns in two separate states, you know, separated by a river, but they operate in unison in, in many ways. So what are the two towns' names? It's like Minneapolis-St. Paul. What are the two towns' names? Or, or Juarez and El Paso? Yeah, it's a bit exotic for us. Um, Probably doesn't it, roll off the tongue like a Chukamama, but yeah. No. So, what are the two towns' names? So, Achuka is in Victoria. Or Maima. And Maima. Um, yeah. But if you're from America or the States or wherever you're from, like, you know, Northern America, um, quite often you, you say Echuca. Etchica. Yes, yes. Okay. Or yes. territory, instead of territory. Yeah. Yeah. And, and care. E-C-H-U-C-A. Yeah. Yeah, you you, yeah, you, need to, you need to learn to say less letters, Liz. Like Canberra. <laughs> Your enunciation is just too much. Aussies are not into that. So Melbourne is Melbourne. Right? I know. Well, B-A-N. poor you, because you have to edit it every week and hear. And it's just, oh, my God, can someone just teach her how to talk? I know. I, well, <laughs> I sort of, we've sort of let you get away with it now. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's too late. It's etched in everyone's memories. No, a New Jersey accent is like gum on an old shoe. It really is. There's nothing you can do. I've heard Americans come here like politicians. It's the New South Wales premier, the woman who, you know, she's been able to shake the American accent. I don't know how she did that. Oh, what is her name? The the one that's in federal politics now? Mm. Yeah, I forget her name. But we'll get back to Ryan's story in a sec, but I've just got to tell you now that you brought up the New Jersey accent. <laughs> You know the store Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah. Which, I don't know how to explain Gotta love it. Chuck E. Cheese. I've if never you, been to a Chuck E. Cheese. If to you be don't know Chuck E. Cheese, you're going to have to look it up. But the original Chuck E. Cheese mascot was from New Jersey. And he basically, his role was to insult patrons. Yeah, it's not <laughs> something we're proud of. I know about Chuck E. Cheese. It's not something we're proud of. I used to smoke a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a kid's restaurant. He's like a nasty guy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we should get back to uh, Echuca Moema. Did you uh, grow up doing any water skiing? A little bit. Yeah, watched the Southern 80 many times. Uh, mm. Owned a boat at one stage, parents did. Uh, but, yeah, we were we were at one with the water, whether it was skiing or 
jumping off bridges or wharfs or climbing mm. onto houseboats as they, you know, went past and climbing on their roof and jumping off them, annoying the tourists or, yeah, we were forever in the in the water, whether we were fishing, craying, swimming or... How, how do you cope with yeah. that in the territory? You get eaten by crocs if you jump off bridges into the water. It's, it's, it's an interesting question, uh, Liz, because going back to a trigger, which I don't often do, it's a really strange sensation getting into those murky waters because it's something we're really, you know, unfamiliar with up here. And uh, you always have trepidation before you, you know, dip your toe in because you're just in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, should I be doing this? But um, you overcome the fear when you get in that muddy bottom and the current's flowing and it's pretty cold and, yeah, you know, nothing's going to hurt you except a few mm -hmm. submerged snags that you could come um, stuck on and not come back up. I was going to say, it's not the crocs you want to worry about down there. It's the bloody snags under the water and the, yeah, uh, you know, the sunken logs. The currents. Yeah. yeah, and we have pretty strong currents as well. It can, uh, if you're trying to cross the river, let's say, it'll take you a K down the river before you cross it if you're not a strong swimmer. Mm. Um, yeah. Queensland. And, of course, you've got to worry about the boats. Yeah. Queensland yeah. Surf Lifesaving just came out with their data and it, you know, it was like a third of people um, drown, who, who drown, drown in rivers, you know, it wasn't, right? it's not mostly oceans. It's, it's like a third oceans, a third rivers and a third yeah. like people's swimming pools and stuff. Yeah. I mean, rivers are, rivers are really dangerous, particularly if you don't know, you know, the lay of the land and or the lay of the water as it were. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's amazing every year, isn't it? People do unfortunately lose their lives by just thinking oh well it's just water i'll jump in and away you go and i've, I've been in some of those currents in the murray and that that can be extreme at times yeah and there's been recent flooding down there record flooding and uh yeah there's been a lot i don't think there's any you know fatalities or accidents as a result but uh yeah unprecedented water levels down there that uh, created some unsafe conditions yeah is family still in Echuca? oh sorry in moama these days yeah, a Chukamama. I've still got a few families spread around there, but yeah. uh, my my family on my mum's side goes right back in a Chuka. Um, I think three or four, probably five generations now. But uh, used to be, you know, used to have a huge presence, and everyone used to know the church family. That's my mum's maiden name. Yep. They used to have some pretty famous parties and quite a big family, family of seven. Um, but there's only a few left now in a Chuka and uh, dwindling and. I don't think any of the next generation are really hanging around um, like my cousin's you know, generation. Everyone's fleeing. And uh, I, I'm one of them. I never say never, but uh, I don't, uh, I'm not hurrying to get back there anytime soon to, to leave anyway. Well, you've got, I'm a, gonna... you've got a business to run in. Sorry, Peter, you've got a business to run in Darwin. Well, yeah, that's that's one of the reasons, I suppose. But uh, it's just not appealing to me anymore. Uh, I like it's kind of living in a small. It's cold and, you know, once you get used to the heat and acclimatise, you don't want to go back to the cold. And the other thing is too, um, you know, I used to be able to know every face down the street growing up and have, have a good sense of community down there, but um, it's not like that anymore. So I, I wouldn't know anyone down there apart from my family and none of my mates live there anymore from school. They're all gone as well. If you've, if you've not been there or to that area, um, it is those houseboats are just majestic on that river. Um, I spent a little bit of time there as a youngster, and and what's interesting, Ryan, is I actually have family 
dating back several generations there as well. So we, we may well oh. be cousins at the end of this episode. But, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's – it's, um, my grandmother and her family were all grew up there and obviously her parents were there too. But I grew up in a city and I remember going there just a few times. In fact, I was there not that long ago. I actually DJed a wedding there on the river. Oh. Um, oh. I reckon – 10 years ago maybe so it's not that's a while ago now but i just remember those beautiful houseboats sitting on the river and it it takes you back to a a, a you know a bygone era it does and at one stage uh it was the largest inland port in in the world i think the historians will correct me on this but it was southern hemisphere or the world uh and a lot of that history still remains today that it's not only just a memory it's not only something that you can get in and take a photo with, you can actually, you know, take a trip down memory lane and go on the Murray with these houseboats. And another funny story, guys, is uh, one of my sisters was conceived on the Emmy Lou, the famous Emmy Lou paddle steamer. <laughs> really? <laughs> even After considered hours, calling her, even considered calling her the Emmy Lou, uh, Emmy Lou from from the boat, but uh, she got named something else instead. I'm not going to uh, let the cat out of the bag. And interestingly, my father worked on paddle steamers for a short time as well. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. They're, they're amazing boats. Uh, was, I, I imagine yeah. the upkeep. Was he the bin monitor? <laughs> <laughs> my father likes sun. No, I think he. Uh, he used he, to put the coal in the engine, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was a, he was a boiler maker, and I'd say he had something to do with the, the engine or something to do with um, maintenance of some description, fitting and turning or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But what, what's really thing. interesting is that is these um, massive big houseboats, and they are massive when you compare them with the, the span of the river that they traverse, is, uh, you know, they, they sit only about, you know, a few feet in the water. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, they don't have this great big, uh, you know, prop that get tangled up in different things. It, they just uh, have these wheels and they can uh, they can navigate some pretty shallow waters. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you're on them, I mean, I, no one loves a good outboard engine more than me, but I do like when you're on those. They're yeah, yes, you can hear the wheel, but they're relatively silent for such a big, you know, a big thing upon the water that you can hear the creeks and you can hear you know, everything that goes with them and, and just enjoy your time along the water. And I think for visitors, and I encourage everyone if they haven't been, if, if there are any people listening or watching, is to get yourself down to Chukawoma and, and check it out, but check out the port area as well. One thing you will hear, and we're talking about hopefully music soon, is the whistle that continuously blows throughout the, the day, the whistle of these, um, you know, steam, these steam engine, uh, steam-driven paddle steamers, and it, it's fantastic. I remember playing footy one day against a, a rep team from the district somewhere, and I was on this player, and he turned around to me halftime and said, don't you get sick of those bloody whistles? I was like, no, I don't even notice them anymore because you're growing up with them, you know. Yeah. But if yeah. you're a tourist, you'll hear them. You go, what the hell is that? But it's obviously just the, the whistle of the... Uh, Hell seems. Yeah. It's and, like and for parents, your children crying. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and then there's that bloody awful, um, what's it called? Water running 
baby crying phenomenon. When when you're a new parent and you have a shower, you you hear a baby crying, even though there's not one crying. Oh. It's just you become tuned into it. It's wow. it's it's honestly it's um it's awful because you swear for all money there's a baby crying. You get out of the shower and baby's asleep. Wow. It's it's really weird, but it's it's a well known thing. You can look that up too in your spare time. I think you must um, be a well good do. parent. A good that's, parent. That's good parenting. <laughs> oh, okay, good to know. We didn't have that phenomenon. Um, why do they blow the whistles all the time? Uh, I think these days it's more of a kind of tourist attraction. Right. But back in the day, it'd be like a, a massive ship coming into Darwin Harbour, letting people know that hey, we're a big ship, get out of our bloody way, or some right. sort of horn for an alerting other steamers that are on the water, which there were, you know, hundreds up and down that river, carting all sorts of logs and wool yeah. and, you know, grain and everything. So it was a really busy time, and I think they were a real requirement back in the day, you know. Plus, they're really hard to steer, aren't they? Because they don't have much under the water. They're, they'd be hard to steer. I haven't had the pleasure of uh, steering one, but they do have a, a rudder, and obviously with, with your wheel each side, I imagine – if it's not a fixed wheel or fixed axle, you could um, steer it without the rudder by increasing or decreasing the um, the speed of the each wheel, maybe. Mm. Yeah, true. Very true. All right. So you um, you flew through school and uh, yeah. attained the uh, the. Did you get a bin monitor certificate at the end, or uh, I got to? You know, it's another funny story. And we're going to fast forward a few years again, uh, guys, but. I was in year 11, and I liked maths. I didn't like English so much. And I was doing year – I'd done year 11 maths in year 10 and aced it, and I thought, oh, this is all right. And then I found out if you'd done a year 12 subject in year 11, well, then you didn't have to attend that year 12 subject, so it would free up my time. I thought, you know what, I'll just do year 12 maths in year 11. So I put in for that. Uh, but, of course, I didn't get it for whatever reason. And I got put into legal studies instead. Now, I could argue that I don't mind legal studies these days, but back when I was a 16-year-old, um, I didn't quite like them. And it was halfway through a class. Sorry, I'm just turning my record player off. I forgot I left it on. Halfway through a class, uh, I decided to just get up and leave. And I left school. I rode my push bike home. and. That was that. Ah. And, yeah, it was a really weird time because I thought to myself, well, who's actually keeping me here? If yeah. I leave, what are the co – I thought to myself, if I leave, what are the consequences? Mum and dad aren't going to be happy, no doubt about yeah. that. But um, who? no one's going to grab me and, and hold me down and tell me I have to stay at school. At school. None of the teachers are going to do that. Mm. So I just left halfway through class and never returned. Best thing I did. Wow. That's no there. So that was year 11, um, probably not, probably toward the end of the year, I think. And uh, I, was, I was seeing a, a girl at the time and she came off a farm. I went and spent some time on their farm and worked for the old man. Uh, so it was my kind of first, it wasn't my first job. I had many jobs before that, but it was kind of my first full-time job. So you never oh, went man. back after that day? No. Never went back to that school, apart from when it was half demolished. To yeah. see your plaque. Actually, I lie. I went back because here's another funny story. 
<laughs> country towns different, you know. But uh, I remember, you know, year seven. Uh, some something come up about the dead ball, the year ten dead ball, debutante ball. I don't even know what it means. And I remember it was year seven or year eight. Uh, everyone started talking about it, and uh, girls started to ask guys in year seven and eight to be their dead partner for year ten because you've wow. got to get in quick, you know. The yeah. guys, what, yeah. guys weren't worried. Guys couldn't give a shit. Am I allowed to swear on this or not? Too late now. Well, we got CUNT, haven't we? We'd, we'd, so we'd, we'd prefer you don't drop any F bombs because it makes it a yeah, yeah. nightmare, but, you know, we don't yeah. mind the other so, stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so, so what happened was uh, I was snap, snapped up pretty pretty quick. I don't, I don't Maybe my sporting ability, I don't know what, what it was at the time. but um, So I got snapped up at year eight, you know. Um, anyway, fast forward, it might year might have been year 12 actually formal year 12 formal yeah so i left school but i had to return there to learn how to do these dances with my partner <laughs> so we attended the, the gym on a thursday let's say six o'clock and we went through all these paces and dances and waltzes and yeah had done my, my deb with my partner but i wasn't attending the school at the time so i do mm. correct myself there I, I did go back so were you a good um, dancer? No, I, and, and I hated it. In fact, I hated it so much that there was only a couple of weeks before the Deb and we were told to dress up in our garb, which, you know, was all these suits and rubbish, and we were wearing gloves. Hmm. And the dance instructor was extremely strict, extremely. She was about five foot high and about five foot wide, but so strict. And I remember she, she used to play the Foxtrot and all that on a tape, a cassette tape, and, you know, put it through the PAs. Anyway, I asked her one day, I said, why are we wearing gloves? And she goes, you don't know? I said, no. She goes, that's so you don't dirty your partners. I'm like, oh. I said, so we're just made to, you know, make the girls look good. And she goes, exactly what you're for. And I was like, yeah. Wow. Wow. You're just an accessory, Ryan. That's it. And I was like, yeah. "This is not what this is not what I'm here for." But anyway, I held Your my up to the bargain. You don't like you don't like that role. Um, if it was told to me at the beginning, or maybe if I was smart enough to realise, I probably would have said no. I said, oh, "I'm not interested in dancing and just mm. to make someone look good. What's in it for me?" You know. So, what did selfish, you think it was going to be? I don't know. I just <laughs> said yes because. You know, you, you, what are you going nice to say? Yeah. Well, we're friends. We're, we're probably not. We, we would be friends if we kept in contact, but she lived across the road from me. Um, Gemma was, she's cute, still is cute. I think she's like the boss. She was the boss of Subway Australia not long ago. Now I think she's gone bigger and better roles than that. She's um, really nice and articulate. And uh, if you're listening, Gemma, um, get in contact. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did have a question to come out of all that, although um, – What's your favourite subway? <laughs> having, having DJed a lot of these events over the years, there is no white male under the age of about 25 that can dance, so it doesn't matter how well drilled we are at learning them. It's, uh, it's very much we're only there making up the numbers. Yeah, and I'll be the first to put my hand up and say I can't dance, and I'm not going to try and dance. You know, it, when I bust the move, it's just it's just comical. That's all it is. And to be honest, I, I hate, you know, I was in the Army for a short time. We're not going to go into that, but I 
hated drill with with a passion, and it's still passionately etched into my mind as as probably some of the worst times in my life on the parade ground doing drill. Right. I, I just found it. I just found it so. Um, okay, it, it it's there to teach people many things, but I, I just. I think it's outdated and I think it's it's just another version of dance, you know. If you're a soldier who's good at dancing, you know, mm. you're going to be good at drill. You know, what's yep. that got to do with defending your country as far as I'm concerned? Mm. It's just, anyway, I'm not going to get into that or make me angry. But I hate dancing and I hate drill. All right. So you walked out of Echuca High School as a uh, debutante's partner and that was mm. the last time you saw that. So w- what happened next? Where did you go from there? Well, obviously – Mum and dad prefer me to get a, a real job per se. So I end up uh, working as a getting apprenticeship as a greenskeeper with a with a local business. And interestingly, again, here's where the story um, twists and turns, I suppose, and this is the beauty about these podcasts, I suppose, is I end up working for uh, the father of the cricketer that just um toured India and done quite well. Um, Murphy. Todd, Todd, um, oh, yeah, yeah. He did very well. What's his name? What's his name? Oh, I forget. Is um, it Tom Murphy? No. Tom, I think it is. Yeah. So look it up. He did really saying, well. Yeah. Everyone's saying, oh, you know, he's from a Achuka. I'm like, who's that? And then I work out that, uh, yeah, he was obviously, uh, you know, born when I was working for, for uh, Troy, his father. But, yeah, I didn't know obviously lost contact there and uh, he's a Australian cricketer now. So anyway, um, that's that. Todd. Done gre- Todd Murphy. Done, Todd. Yeah. Done green yeah. keeping for a year. I didn't really like that as much. I just yearned for a job on the land for whatever reason. I don't know why. And I left there and uh, worked on a station uh, at a place called Mathara for four years. Where's uh, that? Crop, crop, uh, just north of Echuca, about okay. – 60, 60, the station is 60 k's north, but the township's about 40 k's. Uh, on the kind of banks of the the largest red gum forest in the world, yeah. Wow. So, so yeah, so, I worked at a... So, Greenkeeper, and pardon my ignorance, but I've got you working at a golf course. Is that off? Well, is that... kind of bowling club slash landscaping ah, um, gotcha. type scenario, yeah. So, uh, okay, I've done that for a year. I, I kind of didn't like it. There's a few things in there. We won't go into detail, but didn't quite yep. work out. And, uh, yep. yeah, ended up on the land, which I was destined for, to be honest. And I found absolute job satisfaction working on the land as um, on this cropping in sheep and a little bit cattle station. Yep. And I was there for four years from the ages of about maybe 18 to 20, 22 or something like that. Yeah. Does that make you a jackaroo? That, that that did, yeah. You're right okay. on there, Pete. Yeah, look at me, hey, country yeah. boy. Um, and so, what what size is this station? Like, how many it was acres the, or hectares? Yeah, it's twenty five thousand, uh, and that's I think it still remains the largest in the Shire. Yeah. So, right. uh, they have many plots of land scattered throughout this this particular area, and it has a really interesting story with our station. We could, we could spend a whole day talking on air on this podcast about we, we won't do that but uh it's still there today it's still in the same family since its inception if you like back in the day and there was three stations between Achuca and Daniloquin 
So that's a stretch of about 80 kilometres up the Cobb Highway uh, from the Murray up towards, you know, the Hay area, if you're familiar with Hay. And Mathera was one of them. So there was Moira, and that was the one closer to Echukamoma. Mathera was in the middle. Uh, and then the one at Denny uh, was called, I think, the Edwards. Or the Edwards, I think, something like that anyway. So, yeah, when it was first kind of gazetted as, as farming land or, the, you know, the squatters come or, or whatever it was, um, there were three stations. And what happened was during the war, these returned so- soldiers would come back and they were given their selection and most listeners and, and viewers will know about selections. And in this particular area, they were given for each family member 300 acres. So if there's a family of five, you know, times it by five, they were given these paddocks. And it was an obligation of theirs to keep it, to make improvements upon the land. Some some of these settlers gave their land up pretty quickly, sold it on or just walked off the land, and some of them done quite well. But it's really interesting because you'll see there's areas there where there's, you know, a dam built. Someone's obviously gone to great trouble and and lengths to construct a dam back in the days with horses and drawn implements. And uh, it's, you know, it's one of, one of the highest points in, in this paddock. And you, and you wonder why the hell would they put it there? And it's simply because it's easier digging because they had to see yeah. showing that they make an improvement to keep the land. Uh, and there's a lot of quirky stories in relation to that. Um, that, uh, yeah. That makes sense though, because they didn't pay for that land, did they? Or they paid next to nothing? No, no, they didn't pay. So as returned servicemen, you know, yeah. as, as a returned serviceman fighting for your country, you got a block of land. I don't know if you could decide where it was. I don't know the, the, the exact terms, but I do know for each, in this area, for each member of the family, you got 300 acres. And if you had a small family, you'd be struggling to make ends meet, you know, right. with 300 acres. Like 300 acres down there now is a place where you'd run a couple of horses. It's it's yeah, semi hobby farm. semi it's a semi arid region, you know. Um the, they mm. receive on average about two hundred and fifty mil of rainfall. And I think last count, Alice Springs is like two hundred and twenty mil. <laughs> Just, do you know yeah. what I mean? And you're trying to yeah. you're trying to grow week. crops and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're trying to grow <laughs> crops down. That's another thing, you know, you you kind of leave that area. You've only been farming in that area all your life and I end up going over to England and farming over there, et cetera, and completely different. But um, you, you walk away and you think, wow, I, I was there, some pretty serious droughts, but you're trying to grow crop in, in a desert, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So what did had- your daily life, what was your, I imagine it varied by season, but what, what did you do as a jackaroo sort of on a day-to-day basis? I think, Liz, the question you ask yourself, what didn't you do? Um, because that's how it was. If things, there was no such thing as OHS. And I don't know if there is None of this today, bin monitor shit. <laughs> no, no, no. So I remember, I remember one day I was, I was doing some, some stock checks and I come across um, some cows that were, were dying and they were dead. And I thought, uh, you know, what, what's going on here? And I checked the trough and uh, there's no water in the trough. So I looked up the windmill wasn't working right and it was a really windy day. Um, what, what, you know, first thing you do is obviously cart water there to keep the remaining stock alive. But then, you know, you're climbing windmills with, you know, these rickety bits of steel with little pegs hanging off and the fans spinning 
and you've got to try and get up there and, and tackle the fan and put, you know turn it off and then pull it apart and at height there's no harnesses there's no nothing it's just you got to do it you don't think about safety and um yeah it's it's an interesting place where you grow up really really quick is on, it the same station. now when you say you don't think about safety i can't imagine anywhere in australia that hasn't been affected by workplace health and safety but it's still that way now i don't know i know the big holdings have got all these ohns representatives and they've got I've even seen in recently in magazines, Outback magazine, they've got their own uniform. Like, you know, I work for Mathara Station and all the staff or the ringers and stuff, are, you know, they get issued with, um, you know, corporate corporate garb. And I'm like, what the hell? It's a far, far removed from when I was doing things, you know. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't obviously really big. We had a few people working there, but it wasn't huge uh, as far as staffing is concerned. But, you know, an average day could have been mustering sheep, you know, maybe a mob of – we used to have uh, properties some distance apart, so we might be, drive, you know, driving for the day, if you like, and taking a head of – or maybe a thousand head of, of sheep down the road to another area on a public road, so kind of kind of like driving, I suppose. And then, uh, you know, during sowing time or when you plant the seed, I could be sitting on a tractor. I, I remember doing 12-hour shifts from six – at night till six in the morning, um, mm. putting in 250 acres of, of wheat or barley. And in your yeah, spare so. time, you had to silk screen your own T-shirts. <laughs> exactly. I, I, love, I, I love these little chimes you come in at. You know. um, in the meantime, I was, I was shooting and I was training working dogs. Yeah, oh, wow. that was my passion back then. And, well, the shooting side of things, probably not the passion as much anymore, but uh, training dogs is still kind of – Spending time with dogs is a, is a great passion of mine still. Yeah. You've got lots of dogs. How many dogs have you got? No, just the one. I had four at one stage when I was working on the station, and they're all working. But uh, now I've just got a lazy black dog called Maddie. <laughs> Shop dog. Yeah. That's, the, that's the sort of dog you need when you're in a city, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's on patrol right now. She's just barking at some uh, potential I, intruders out I there. I thought I could hear some chit-chat in the background that didn't sound human. Yeah. Um, so being a uh, ex-jackaroo, I guess fencing was your most hated task, was it? No, believe it or not, I like fencing and I still like it today um, with the job I do now. I, um, you know, one of the jobs I do now, I do a bit of fencing and I really enjoy it because uh, wow. I get I get to teach um, a lot of these skills that I, I remember to um, people who they kind of think they know fencing. They've been taught one way, but it's not quite right. Yeah, yeah. it's not, and, not how you do it. And have you watched Yellowstone yet? I've I've watched parts of it, but I um to be honest, Pete and Liz, um I'm gonna have to let you know I don't watch much TV and I don't know hardly any movies. So um I watched it because I was I was seeing someone who who really fell in love with it and fell in love with a particular character called I think Hit or something. And it's the first time I heard the expression, and you can help me, Liz, dirty hot. You know uh, this expression, dirty hot? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. But I can imagine now that you think of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so who was Dirty Hot? I think a it's, bloke named Kit, I think, or one of them anyway. And he's like, it's when I you leave a Zumba class, are... isn't it? <laughs> well, you're kind of dirty hot. You and Peter are sort of dirty hot. <laughs> oh, right? I don't you know. Like I, no. <laughs> I, I don't, someone can, again, someone, one of your viewers can um, message in and tell us the definition of dirty hot. 
that'd be appreciated because I don't where you're quite dirty get it in your heart. If it came from Yellowstone, we might struggle, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but I do know there's some pretty famous faces in it, and I think they're doing a spin off. And uh, just like all yeah. these shows, there's, um, you know, there's a cult following that people they call it binge watching. I think I might yes. binge listen, maybe, but um, it's not uncommon for people to say they've watched like six hours in a row of it. I just can't do it, Pete. It's, I'm it's sorry. unbelievably addictive. I mean, yeah, I, right. I, I, I also too probably couldn't have understood it a few years ago, and then if you, once you get into something, unlike you know, we, um, I can't even think of a show. Oh, I'll tell you what, I was a big, big follower of Entourage, right? Which is very yeah. old now, but back in the day, you'd have to wait a week for every episode to come out, so you were just hanging for it. But now, with these you know, streaming services, you find something you like. If it's five seasons old, hey, there's your next week taken care of. You can watch the whole thing. But yeah, I held off watching Yellowstone for a year or so. Finally put it on. I was, I was hooked from day one. But when you're talking about, you know, you, you've got the dying cows, you're you know, moving the stock, you're fencing. Man, this is Yellowstone to a T. You'd love it. Plus the yeah, countryside. I, 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 yeah, I would, but the the country shows I've watched on TV, um, they portray only one side of it, and that's the kind of exciting, fun side. They don't see the the terrible, heartbreaking side of it all, and um, it's really glamorised, I think. And um, you know, Farmer Wants a Wife. Wow, what a show that is! That's just a, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, an absolute joke. Um, but let's not talk about that. One thing I want to bring up because well, we're going to get onto music at some point. Is um what what I find really interesting is because um, I'm a pretty active person I'd say is that when you listen to music you can do other things as well that's the, that's another thing beauty beautiful thing about listening to music um, but when you when you're committed to a, a screen um, given you know a TV show or something like that a series you, if you miss out on five minutes it could throw you for the whole bloody thing so you really have to concentrate yeah. It's very true, and depending on what Beth Dutton says on that episode, you never know what you might have missed if, if you miss out on five minutes. I will also say, Ryan, and you, you'll know this too, but not only can you listen to music when you're on the move, but you can also listen to podcasts. And Oh, uh, very good. <laughs> particularly ones that go for quite a few hours at a time. You can break it up into bite-sized chunks. If you commute yeah. 20 minutes to work, well, there's 40 minutes a day, and you can get through an average size uh, territory story in a, in a, just a couple of days. Yeah, yeah that's how it point, works. Mate. Thank you. Anyway, um, so <laughs> it, where did you go from the uh, from the station? Yeah, so again, strangely, I had this yearning to go and join the army. I don't know how. I don't know why. <laughs> None of my family had ever been in the army. I didn't know anyone who'd ever been in defence force. Full stop. Allegedly. And this is not alleged, this is actually true, but my great-grandfather, he fought in World War One and Two. He lied wow. about his age in World War One, and he got enlisted and he yep. went and fought and he returned and he fought in World War Two and then returned. So there's not yeah. too many stories of survival of the two, two wars and, you know, going over to fight. So maybe I drew some inspiration to, a, you know, a family member that I never met. I don't know, but I find mm. myself in a, in a recruiting uh place in Aubrey, uh, two and a half hours away, and next thing you know, not next thing you know, there's a whole saga with that story, but 
I'm uh, marching into Kapuka in in the you know the, the boot camp of the army, I suppose. Yeah. Just one second. Aubrey has a sister town too, right? Wodonga. That's correct. Nice. Oh, that. okay. very good. Look at you, hey. Ten points. Almost an Aussie. There's also uh, <laughs> thank you. There's also a song. Well, so with, are they and, across and, the river? Are they across a river from each other? No, well, they're there upstream uh, from Achukamoma and around about two and a half hours by road, I would say, you know, by the crow, probably about, I don't know, 120, 150 k's um, upstream. And interestingly, there's a song written about Aubrey Wodonga that um, some some guys who come to play, guys and girls come to play to Darwin recently, they sung, which is uh, one, of the, one of the hit songs, The Babies. Yeah, aren't the babies one of your your groups that you like? Oh, baby animals, you mean? Baby animals, that's it. No, um, it wasn't baby animals, although they have been to Darwin uh, quite a few times. No, it was private function. Oh, okay. wow. How does it go? Can you spin it? Do you have a, your And uh, your I'd love to player? talk about them, them the, those that group. Uh, or, uh, do you want me to uh, – I don't know how, how much we can say or do on this program, oh. but um, that – now, press it. Let me. Can I move around or what? And apologies to to viewers if anyone's going to be watching this, but of you can. I'm not so very okay with. Um, you know, this is the first time I've been featured on a, any sort of video streaming thing. But we're just going to. Um, I'll, I'll spin the camera around. Can I do that? Is that going to work? Okay. Here's um, some records here, and we're going to talk about them, I believe, soon, or, or music. Um, now. No, we're this never is, talking about is, music. That's all I was, no, no. That was a lie. <laughs> I just can't. I can, no one's going to be interested in my story, so I don't understand why we're – anyway, that's uh, – you guys know the industry better than uh, I. How little um, you know, my friend. I know, I know. This is um, Private Function's album here. Sorry, I'm going to – can I put this phone down? Right looks like your living room. You can. I, I can see a hallway, and and uh, now, oh, now, it's, now we've gone into the abyss. I like well, that. Uh, no, so – so, that's the so, uh, that's the spinal tap CD. <laughs> so anyway, we've got some private function here. They've, they put out this album a couple of years ago, go called "Whose Line Is It Anyway?" And um, oh, yeah. for 50, 50 people who pre-ordered um, this copy, they they got this vinyl. Wait up! I'm just going to uh, adjust this camera. It's and, white, and they got clear. They got this. Yeah, see through. See through. Wow. Some bags. Oh, that's right. I've heard about, <laughs> I've heard about this. That's so these, are, these bags are actually pressed into um, this clear vinyl. It weighs about 308 grams. A typical wow. vinyl is around about 120 to 180 grams. And does um, it this play, is a, play normally? A world are, they, are they bags of baking sodas? Oh, that is careful. Exactly. Careful. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's so, um, medicinal purposes. Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, these these guys are pretty uh, pretty loose. Um, they're a lot of fun, and they re recently played in in uh, Darwin. So Aubrey Rudonga is on this record. Um, you'll know about this, Pete, DJing for a long time. When you're dealing mm. with clear vinyl, it's really mm. hard to pick up pick up the uh, the the track cues because it, it all is, kind yeah. of merges into one. It's much easier yeah. with with uh, with black and um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you'll be able to hear it properly anyway if I do play it. So anyway, I just thought I'd show you that. But Aubrey Wodonga yeah. is featured on this album. 
And uh, they it was inspired because they were constantly – oh, did I do something there? They were constantly – there, I'm back. They were constantly driving between Melbourne and Sydney to do gigs and mm. passing through Albury with Donga. That's how they got the inspiration, and uh, it's called Albury with Donga. It's a good song. Anyone's out there, uh, buy the record. The or Twin CD. Town. Um, yeah, I, I'm just thinking about those see-through vinyl. The best one I ever had was an In Excess, I think it was Kick. They did a, a, like a photo disc for that album. And, yeah, I've seen uh, I was that. friends with one of it's brilliant. I was friends with one of the, um, I don't know what they were, prom- promotional marketing ladies at WEA Records, as it was known at the yep. time before it became Warner's. And uh, they they had basically in their office, they had like a record store. It, it had everything that a normal record store would have, but it didn't have a counter with a, um, a cash register. So if you were on their list, which I was, you could go at any time and pick out whatever music you wanted and take it because the more you were playing their stuff, the happier they were. Wow. Crystal ball moment right there. Yeah. Imagine that, Pete. Crystal was ball right there. I have to say, she, the lady was a friend of a fellow that I went to school with and yep. uh, I was DJing a gig one night and she was there and she goes, oh, you have to come into the office and meet everyone, get on our promo list and all that sort of stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, sounds good. Didn't really know what it meant at the time. But when I went in there, she goes, all right, you're on our promo list now. Go for it. I said, what do you mean go for it? She goes, take what you want. It's yours. Any of our promo DJs can take any music they want. Just make sure you play it as much as you can. So they had some huge artists on their their label at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Anyway, that's my story. doing a bit of research there, Liz, or? She listening to does. Aubrey Wood. Sorry, I checked out. I'm listening to Aubrey Wodonga. Oh, yeah. yeah. Research. yeah She's function. doing Leon-style research, yeah. <laughs> research on the run. But then it comes up, my YouTube comes up with other fe- other things, like, you know, how to ch- yes. tie shoelaces and stuff. So Something I have to look else at that. you now, now, if you listen, If you listen to Private Function, it'll completely destroy your algorithm, so be careful. <laughs> okay, no, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> okay, yes. well... While, while we're on the uh, on the subject of, of records and obscure records, I think mm. uh, and private function, they've mm. just recently released a new album that they they're touring, and they come up and played a few songs off their album uh, in Darwin. So they done the launch of it in Brisbane and in store uh, in Brisbane on a couple of Thursdays ago. They Flew to Darwin. They were supposed to fly to Darwin on the Friday. They're going to do an in-store air raid records on Saturday, but their plane got cancelled, so they could come on the Sunday, and they were booked to play at the rails on Sunday. You should tell so, them not to fly Air North. It got randomly cancelled. <laughs> yeah, randomly cancelled. So um, yeah, they had to cancel the in-store gig that they're going to do in the record store, and they just done done the actual gig on Sunday night. But um, anyway, they they're touring this album. Uh, I, I won't mention what it's called because it might mightn't be uh, suitable for for air, but um, you can find that out yourself. Private Functions new album. So again, they've offered these fifty mystery records. So the one I just showed you was a mystery record. No one knew what they were getting, so it was for the first people to to, to buy it. A mystery. It's called Mystery Bag. No one had an idea. 
There was one, I believe there was one customer who bought one not knowing what he got and he was a recovering person and he um, said he didn't want it. So he oh, no. he gave he got a refund. Uh, he got his money back. They got the record and there was a competition they ran who could put their sticker on the most outlandish place and whoever, yeah. you know, uploaded a photo got that uh, record. People put him on cop cars. People put him on all sorts of, you know, um, federal infrastructure and stuff that they shouldn't have been and uh, it was a bit of a competition. Anyway, back to the story. They've just released this new album and for the first 50 people who go on and order this uh, this new mystery thing, they got it was called Mystery Gold and there's all this speculation there's going to be a gold-plated record or something like that. Turns out it's the first urine-filled vinyl ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Why wouldn't you? So, uh, how much does it weigh? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think anyone's actually got their hands on it yet. It's still in the manufacturing phase. And interestingly, the um, the record manufacturer had some problems early on because obviously urine has a lot of bacteria and all this stuff in it. And when it was pressed into the record, and it's a it's it's a fluid thing, you know, it's it's encapsulated in a gap. So as you tip the record around, it can be moving around. It moves, um, yeah. I, yeah, it exploded. Oh, cool. So they oh. had to get. They had not to be get in the room some... when that happens. <laughs> well, you don't want that record parked up beside your really good records, you know. So uh, they had to get some antibacterial kind of formula and some um, acidic regulators, I think. So there's a fair bit of science that went into the production, and yeah, they've got. They end up with this uh, urine-filled uh, record, the first one ever. I On top of that, it's like yellow I fluid could... that no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead, I, thought urine, I thought urine was sterile. I thought I've been told um, urine is sterile, and I don't really understand uh, what that means, honestly. Peter, yeah, can I you don't know. His... I don't know, but I know <laughs> Doctor Phil it for health reasons. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's sterile or not. But it um, it does. It is distinctive in lots of ways, and you wouldn't want it all over your living room, really, would you? No, 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 I, no, I wouldn't. But I'd, <laughs> not without a top. <laughs> um, so anyway, I've, I've got to tell you. On top of all this, they issued three hundred vinyls in their first run, first press, and they also have done the very first instant scratchy vinyl cover. So there's three scratch panels on it. You scratch yeah. them off. And if you're to get the three big bananas, you get $2,999.99 as a winner. And your mugshot is going to be featured on every reissue of that album. Oh, really? Wow. You, you look That's amazing. He, Peter's excited about yeah. that. So, so um, 2,900. Two thousand nine hundred ninety-nine, because that's what the law would allow the, the gambling oh, regulations. And initially, the sale of this, yeah, the sale of this album was actually banned in South Australia because of their gambling regulations. Because there are no fund the restrictions. South Aussies, that's right. The South Aussies petitioned their uh, minister for gaming and licensing, and he overturned uh, the rule and uh, made it. Uh, you know, uh, people could actually buy it in South Australia. Because he, he overturned it for this particular, uh, for this particular album. It's amazing. So there it's you go. Amazing. 
All right, now hang on. I need I, I, I need to do something here because it's going to get out of control very quickly. I need to go back to Kapuka, and I need you to yeah. fast forward me. What what you got? Oh. You got uh, dishonorably discharged, did you? Uh, do you want the? You, you're gonna have to have a short story. The long story is way too long. That's right. Short story is uh, I I left Central Australia, and I was a you know jackaroo. I was in on a was it. 600,000 acre property uh, running, you know, cattle and had a time there. And this was at a time where I was kind of going through the application to get into the military. It took a couple of years. Uh, so then I got a date. I then flew to Kapuka. I didn't know what to expect. Actually, I expected that Kapuka and, and our, our platoon would be full of cowboys like me. But in fact, I was the only cowboy, and I got a lot of shit for it. And uh, they g- gave me a hard time, and that was everyone from the drill sergeants to the other soldiers, morning and work, that 13, 14 hour day, sun up till sundown, six days a week, and then go and do the dishes and do this and get treated like a dog. Kapuka was like one of the easiest things I've ever done. It was, you know, getting up at eight, or seven o'clock or something, having a shower, going to the mess. You know, I was on rations on the station. I'd have, you know, a sandwich for lunch and some some loose tea and, you know, um, just rations. I didn't have access to any food. I could only eat what I was given um, in Central Australia. So we had this big buffet of food and, uh, you know, you'd attend a PT lesson and you'd, you'd do a lecture, a first aid lecture or something and do, go to the rifle range and shoot some Did pretend you guns down at- Did you do Zumba class? Um, no. No, not really. No, no. <laughs> but um, it was it was easy. Yeah, uh, was easy. And then we went to our what we call core core training, which was I was a signalman. So I went down to Melbourne and learned how to become a signalman. And then after that, you learn how to do your trade. And my trade was electronic warfare, which essentially is um like a how can you say it? You're capturing communications, deciphering stuff, and pretty much. You're resigned to a an office sitting with your headphones on, just like we're doing now, but for twelve hours a day, learning Morse code languages and so, secret so stuff that I didn't even really. Electronic war, war warfare sounds to me like video games, like killing people in video games. There's nothing like that. Um, I think there'd be probably elements of that within the within the job, but uh, with this job and and maybe some of your listeners might be in the military. You, it, it's it's extremely secretive, and at one point I held a TSPV, which is a top secret positive vetting security clearance, which is the highest one you can obtain in Australia. They go right through your life, and uh, it's not easy to get. I definitely wouldn't get one now. There's no way in hell I'd get one now. And you have to be squeaky clean. And I was 22, whatever, squeaky clean. So all right, hadn't really tra- you need to know. So even I remember we were at, you know doing our training and we had these sergeants who electronic warfare soldiers who had been in the force for 20 years and we'd ask them so what do you do on a daily basis oh you'll find out that's it so you didn't even know what where you were going what you're destined to do or what you're going to be doing all i knew that i was going to dsd which is defense signals directorate in canberra i was going to be in full polyester gear i was going to be sitting at a desk staring at a screen <clears throat> with headphones on for 12 hours a day. And that was not What's my full version polyester? of the army. 
it's it's like it's it's one of the neatest dresses, I suppose. It's not your cams or camouflage um, apparel. It's uh, like polyester where everything has to be, you know, ironed that um, you, you could stand it up and you'd swear that there's a cardboard cutout, you know, in, in the insert in the inside of it to holding it up. So mm. you have to look your best. Uh, yeah, it's it's something you would dread to get into your polys, and, and at DSD you're doing that every day. Um, you know, to especially for a bloke from the bush to have to prepare to get ready for work that takes more than two minutes is really a drag. And you'd you'd be you know you'd be spending <laughs> the ironing, the the dressing, make sure everything's in place. You'd be spending upwards of forty five minutes a day just preparing mm. to look good to go to work. It's not um, my idea of fun. Fair enough. And then um, how long did that last for? A year, almost to the day. Yeah. And, uh, gee, that was a long time ago, so I could suppose I can say a little bit about it. But uh, I uh, I was told some lies during recruiting. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I was fed some BS about what I was going to do and where I was going to go. Um, and I found out later on through my investigative skills that the recruiters were made up of civilians and they worked on quotas and they really needed people in this particular job, electronic warfare. It's really hard to find people to, to actually, I'm not saying that I'm clever or anything like that, but it takes a certain aptitude when you do all your training to, to um, become a, a soldier for electronic warfare. So they seen me coming, I, I tick the boxes and there's more money to be made um, by putting me into to this trade, essentially. So all I wanted to do was become a soldier, run around the bush for a couple of years, get a deposit for a house option, and one of them was electronic warfare. And they told me I'd be running around the bush, um, I'd be um, teaming up with the SAS so they'd, you know, make more money. That's all it was. So I found all this out, and I took it to the, uh, the army. I'd be uh, taking the matter further. And uh, they signed the discharge papers. Then and there. How does it? How does? How does? Pretty much. That's how does what. The, <clears throat> putting you in a role of doing electronic warfare make them money. Because the recruiters. Oh, oh the recruiters. Okay. They yeah. were paid. Yeah. So the recruiters they gave me. You know, some of the guys I went to Kapuka with, they had two sheets of jobs that they could choose from. I had two jobs to choose from. So they were just railroading me into a job that, that they could make more money on because they put me in the role. Um, they make more commissions. The, the civilians shouldn't be recruiting, um, you know, people who are looking to start a career in defence force. It's it's nonsense. I think it's all changed now. Uh, so, yeah, it's not like that anymore. It does sound odd, but, um, yeah, hopefully it's, that's not a common practice. Um, so where did you go after there? I come straight to Darwin, and the adventure began. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What? Just so I remember. Oh, well, I want a break. Let's head to Darwin. I remember. No, I, my mates are up here. In fact, and that's a, kind of another story in itself. But I remember getting discharged, handing over my documents, my ID cards, and different things. Getting my old uh, 1992 Toyota Camry sedan, and going out to uh, out the bush, chasing. I don't know, chasing something around and it was wasn't women it was there's no women out there but animals or something going shooting or something and then after that that weekend we hit a we hit a roo and it folded my um front end in 
And I remember that it kept popping up when you'd done speeds over 120. So we tech screwed the bonnet down and I ended up that next, that week, the following week, I drove it to, to Darwin and never really left. That was about, yeah. Wow. Two, yeah. So you arrived in Darwin as a 20-something-year-old? Yeah, most definitely. And what's really interesting is my grandfather was up here at the time and so was my father. He'd recently moved up here and a couple of my mates were. So come up here and I thought, well, you know, I'm in Darwin now. I'll, I'll become a ranger, park ranger. So I um, spoke to my grandfather and it was October, I remember, when we arrived. It was pretty hot. And he said there was no jobs going at the time. He said, what about a tour guide? And I said, a what? And he said, tour guide. I didn't even know what a tour guide is. I didn't even know what a tour was. You know, come from a really touristic place in a Chukamama. but Judy? There's, there's no sense. Oh, yeah. Wow. Good point, Pete. Yeah. But as, as far as a commercial kind of um, adventure yep. tour goes, as opposed to a, a military one, I had no idea. I'd never been on a tour before. So um, yeah. he suggested I apply for this tour guide job, which I, I got and pretty much told, pack your bags and head down to Alice. You're going to be training in Alice and you're going to be doing trips around there. And that's what happened. As soon as wow. I got here and caught up with my mates and had a few really big benders, uh, then we packed my bags and and uh, left my car up here and jumped on a tour bus and done my first for mill with a, with a tour guide called Rachel. I'll never forget. Yeah. So Why will you never forget? You, yeah. oh, you never forget your first tour, I suppose, and it's not for those reasons you're thinking, Liz, but um, <laughs> I remember I'd been out fishing what the day before. Oh, we're talking about Japanese gardens before and all yeah, that. You yeah, know, yeah, go so. on, go on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I went fishing a couple of days before of, with no shirt on, pretty exposed and got sunburnt. And I remember jumping on this tour with all these foreigners that, you know, speaking strange languages and heading down to Alice. It was a three-day trip down to Alice. And I remember by night two, we got pretty familiar with everyone. The drinks were flowing. And so was my skin. It was peeling, um, which was pretty gross. And um, I remember for some reason someone had some – someone was travelling with some hair clippers. I remember someone shaving all my hair off um, oh, wow. on, the, on the second night. And then uh, we, we got into Alice and, as you can imagine, had a good time with all these different people on tour. And I thought, wow, um, if this is what tour guiding is all about, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah. And and you became an avid um bird birder, didn't you? Yeah, how, how do you know that? I you know, I try to I try to inform myself. We Ryan, can tell you like you know, the birds. <laughs> so so yeah, no, we 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 found that out about you. We have other things in store too, uh, other surprises uh, 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 for you. Yeah. So, so what what's your favorite bird? I um well, <laughs> Maybe, maybe, gee, I don't, I hate scrub fowls. You know, all these people in Darwin who love scrub fowls, garden destroyers, I hate them, you know. They've got their place, and ever since the cane toad's arrival, their numbers have exploded, and you can find them in every nook and cranny of every garden. But um, I can tell you I don't like scrub fowls. I can tell you I, I um, you know, I, everyone loves a Gordian finch, so I'm not going to say that, even though they're really colourful and there's more in captivity than the wild. Um, let's just go out there and say, you know, a white-throated grass wren. Yeah, 
Oh, me that. too. Me too. I'm a sucker for a white-throated guest. Have, have you have you seen one? Have no, you seen I, one? I don't. What do they look like? <laughs> They're small. <laughs> They're small. They hop around the escarpments of Arnhem Land and Kakadu. <laughs> And they're very, very hard to find. I've never seen one. I only know a handful of people who have, and um, their their habitats is really threatened. So um, they're endemic to that that Arnhem Land sandstone outcrop um, or that big massive, you know, area there. Um, but they're isolated to the rocks, and they, um, yeah, very rare. Why are they under threat? Mainly due to fire. So uh. they they rely heavily on spinifex and spinifex is up in the rocks for cover uh, for protection and stuff and when the fires get out of control in the arnhem land kakadu region they once they get on top of that um, sandstone uh, plateau they spread really really quickly and if there's been quite a significant wet season it can destroy their habitat and without the spinifex and, and that kind of environment they really struggle so um, what was once some reliable you know, areas to find these birds and you, you can't find them anymore. But mm. um, they're, they're still around. It's just they live in some of the most, inexp- you know, inhospitable areas of, of of Australia, I would say. Yeah. Wow. But you yeah. you say you can't find them anymore, but you never really did find them. <laughs> you never well, saw good point. them. <laughs> good point. Um, look, they, is, they were. Staring at you, Liz. Yeah, it, it's no, it's a, fair, it's a fair, yeah, it's a fair call. Look back, kind of fifteen, ten years ago, um, they were seen quite often at particular sites, and then fires went through those sites, and then they were just less common at those sites. So th- there's some scientists have done some research into it and found, um, yeah, their main threat is, threat is habitat destruction. They've got a really sensitive habitat they they need that. Um, they're so reliant on, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. And if you mention bushfires and spinifex, well, <clears throat> they go hand in hand, don't they? And if so, they need yeah. spinifex to survive, then they get destroyed regularly. That's right, Pete. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So you became a park ranger. This is years ago now, and and you still do that to this day, don't you? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, work for park ranger. Yeah. And, uh, so, so what sort of places do you go to? Because I, would ama- I, I, I would think you'd see some amazing sites that no one, not many other people would ever see. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, but I could say that about tour guiding as well. I, was, you know, and true. You know, you, you, what the beauty about tour guiding is, you share these amazing experiences with all these other people, uh, from around the world, and they get, you know. They get even more um, exhilaration than, than than what I would because you know might have gone to these places before. But, you know, imagine sharing the excitement with you know twenty places. Places it was, it was fantastic. But don't take anything away from from ranger work. Um, we get to go yeah. to some pretty interesting areas and see some some amazing things that the general public probably doesn't have access to. Yeah, um, and and being a ranger for parks and wildlife is is a great job. Yeah. So what does a ranger do? Tell me that. Um, you remember I was telling you about that story about picking up rubbish? <laughs> yes, I'd imagine that'd be part of it. In in the urban environment, in urban parks, uh, a lot of that. So we look after Casuarina Coastal Reserve and a few other urban areas. And uh, you can imagine the amount of rubbish that we pick up. 
uh, you can't imagine it. I'd have to take you for a drive one day if I was allowed and show you just how much rubbish we take on a daily basis from these parks. Um, and that's rubbish that's obviously left in bins and then there's a lot of rubbish that's just thrown um, without any care and, and we have to go and pick it up. Like, for example, along Casuarina, if we didn't pick up rubbish for two days, there'd be front page of the news, the amount of rubbish. It, it, you, you, yeah, it's it's until you've done the job, you can't even imagine how disrespectful people are to the, to the country. So is it people yeah. um, going to that area, taking things with them and just dropping it? Or is this... Um... No, no. It, there can be dumb rubbish like, you know, mattresses, barbecues, um, and I'm, I could mention a few funny ones on air, but I won't. Um, but it's mainly people, okay, young kids going to drive-throughs, getting their McDonald's, KFC or whatever, and just parking up, eating it, and just throwing out the window. Um, there's large groups of people who come to have a party and whatever empty containers they have, whether it be food or drink or whatever, they just throw yeah. it over their shoulder. When there's a, where there's a bin two metres away, you know, it yeah. doesn't matter. Um a good day for us in the urban parks, or for me essentially, is if there's more rubbish in the bin than out of the bin. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I get it. That that's pretty sad, but yeah. that's the honest truth. Yeah, you, you'd be amazed how much rubbish is thrown yeah, around yeah. Um, our parks. I, Do you make a lot like of money out a, of the that, containers, right? But that's in an urban environment. Obviously, the further out you get, more. Um, no, no. You've disappeared on us, Liz. I think, Is that on purpose? Or? I think there's a theme running through your life, and it, and I and I think the whole, the whole bin monitor thing really kind of did set the tone. <laughs> yeah, and it set the tone. That's why I said it's gone full circle. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I, I was a bin monitor, you know, back when I was 12, and I'm bin monitor today. Nothing's really changed. Teachers mm. might be smarter than we give them credit for. Oh, totally. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? All right. So you you arrived in the Territory. You uh, yeah. took up a position as a tour operator or tour guide, and then you work with um, Parks and Wildlife. That's what it's called. Sorry yeah, if I that's got that better, wrong. Better word. Thanks, Thanks for everything, sir. That's all right. And then so yeah. – you you are also um, in the music business. Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, it's funny how things work. Uh, I I went for a job as a ranger, and it took a long time, as it as it does. And in the meantime, uh, my my partner at the time, she's sick of me. You know, heading off doing these tours. You know, going away for two weeks at a time. So she wanted me to get a more permanent job in the city or close to the city. So you know, applied as a ranger and. It took probably a year from start to finish to to get accepted. And during this time, I thought I wasn't going to get the position. So I thought, well, I've got to do something with my life. So I decided that I was going to start a, a record store. Yeah. The day I got asked if I wanted the job as a, as a ranger was the day I got given the keys to the, the commercial property and paid my $3,500 you know, bond um, yep. to, to be in that store. So that was the same day. It was a Wednesday, I remember, and I was around the pool and pool at home here when I got the phone call. And I, I looked at my mm. partner. I said, what the hell do I do? And uh, it was, well, I put all this money down. I paid, 
I've, you know, I've already signed a contract for a year for this record store that didn't exist. And I've just been yep. given the opportunity to become a ranger. What do I do? So I end up doing both of them. As as any good entrepreneur does. So oh, yeah. what, what was the what was the premise behind the, the record store? Which which you, you mentioned earlier, but for those interested, is air raid records in the city? Yeah. Uh, I started it because you know, I've, I've, everyone loves music of varying degrees. I've always loved everything physical. I've got a big book collection. I worked for a tour company. He was the boss of the tour company. He gave me some records, a big pile of them, sitting in a house in Ludmilla. They've been there for decades. And he said, uh, here's some records. Do what you want with them. And I'm like, well, some of these are worth money, Liam. And he's like, oh, just whatever. And I said, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take them down the markets. And I've, I've already got what I want. I'll sell some for you. And, uh, we can make some money that way. So I called uh, Nightcliff Markets up, got myself a little stall, and I, I was called Milk Rate Records, just like every first <laughs> record store's called at the markets. And uh, I set myself up, and uh, there we went. And I had about four milk crates and uh, sold some records, and I found out that uh, Darwin didn't really have a record store, but they had record collectors. And I thought, okay, there might be something in this. And uh, I took a chance meeting with it with a, a bloke, which I'll mention, to turn my um, dream of a record store into reality. Yeah. Wow. And it's it's obviously um, selling secondhand records, and obviously you do CDs and other things as well now. But why secondhand? Well, we we do sell new as well, but limited new stuff. Secondhand, um, well. It's going to sound a little gammon, but a manufacturing process, um, there's no impact there. And I don't know, records can tell stories, especially secondhand ones. They tell a lot of stories. If you, if you want to um, want some examples of that, I, I bought um, some records that used to belong to a radio station, and you'll find some really hilarious notes on some of them. And some people have even gone to lengths to try and scratch them because they've hated the music, so no one would play this type of music on the on the radio stations back in the day. So um, yes. they've got stories. They're 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 kind of living things that you know you know they say if records are kept in optimal conditions, they're good. They start degrading at four hundred years. Four hundred. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So it's not not yeah. it's not not time for me to come so, across. And people are still collection. manufacturing records, right? Oh, too right. I think manufacturing. You know, is it? It's not. They're not manufacturing as many as you know, probably the mid '80s. But every year, year upon year, there's more and more and more in record. Mm. And repressing the old faves. Oh, oh, most definitely, yeah, um, yeah. So, where where are we going for? I can't remember. Um, I suppose you, you want to hear the story. That's that's what I'm getting about how. It kind of all come to fruition in the end. Because it's yeah, an I mean, interesting story. Yeah, well, that that's. I mean, people know the the um, they know your record shop, and you know, before I met you, I, I had friends and still do. I'm sure to this day who would shop there regularly. Um, and it's as you say, look, music for me, it's it's always been in my life. It's just always been something I've loved and. You know, whether it was back in the day buying 
singles or cassettes uh, to CDs, vinyl, going to shows. You know, it's musical events that I, I sort of remember and that I can peg them to other things that were happening at that time. Um, no, no doubt that's what drove you. But if we learn about how the store got created, then we can sink our teeth into your, uh, your musical um, tastes. Oh, okay. That's, that's okay. So uh, really interesting. I was at Nightcliff Markets one day and this gentleman come up probably in the 60s, early 60s. I had three crates to what I thought were pretty good records. They were good. And uh, this bloke come up and he went through them. He went through every single one of them. And he said, do you have any more? And I said, oh, yeah, I've got this big stack here. And I got it because there was a gentleman who seen me at the, the Nightcliff um, markets and he said would you be interested in some more, more records and i said oh, of course and this particular collection came from a gentleman who used to be part in or another mate of his inherited them and then they become water damaged so most of the covers were pretty much destroyed but some of the actual records were okay so this this gentleman i went and seen in bakewell in over in numpami he gave me this damaged collection to do what i wanted with it so i took it to the markets but obviously folk music is not the most in vogue genre and uh, they were water damaged. So I had them sat there and I thought nothing, no one would be interested. And this guy who had been through all these three crates of good records, I said I had some more and I pointed to the stack and he went through them and he started pulling them all out. And not all of them, but I reckon 30. And I said, um, he goes, how much for these? And I said, oh, um, 50 cents each, and he goes, make it 20 cents. I was like, okay, 20 cents it is. And he scurried off. He was gone. And I thought, that's really bizarre, right? Mm. Really bizarre. The next week, I set up there, and he comes again. Same guy. He's the first customer. he done the same thing. He didn't take as many this time out of that folk pile that I had. And I said, look, mate, I don't mean to pry. But you've looked through all my good records. Um, you, you, you're not interested in any of them, and you've taken these ones that are all damaged and stuff. Can I, can I ask what you're doing with them? You're, like you're turning them into art or you're painting on them? or whatever. He goes, no, I've got all them. I said, what do you mean you got all them? He goes, are those ones in your crates? I've, most of them I've got triples and four and five copies of. I was like, okay, really? And he goes, yeah, I've got a lot of records. Then we started talking, and this guy was hard to have a conversation with, and we started talking about cleaning records and different methods that use to clean records. And I, I got, a, got him conversing, and um, he told me one day um, he might invite me around and he can show me how he cleans records, and he gave me his address on a bit of paper. Just so happened that day he was in such a hurry to leave because he got some ones that he liked. He left his fruit and veggies at my stand. And I thought, well, I'll do this bloke a favour. I'll go and knock on his door and return his fruit and veggies. So tentatively, I uh, went to his house and knocked on his door and seeing the guy who had been talking to earlier and said, uh, here's your fruit and veggies. And he kind of invited me into his house that was full of records. We're talking 25,000. Wow. You know, yeah. this story reminds me of the story of Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, I know. Of, <laughs> I heard of Rumpelstiltskin, but I don't know the story. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, someday, Sorry. someday someone will tell you the story. Yeah. Okay, you yeah, a lot of records, really. Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so, did this bloke um, listen to them or what? That's the interesting thing. He didn't have a working record player. It's often the case. Yeah. So he had. Uh, well, he still has a lot to this day. To cut a long story short, uh, I kind of asked him what he's doing with them all, and he said, "Well." They're mine, and uh, if I pass away, um, they'll go to me kids, and the kids will probably throw them in the skip bin, and that'll be the end of them. And I said, oh, you know, would you be interested in selling some of them? And he goes, no, I've never sold one, never will. Wow. And we developed a, a friendship, a relationship, and this is before the shop started, of course, and he allowed me access to some of his records to sell on consignment, which was a huge deal for him, and um, I really commend him for, for doing that is, is a huge thing. And essentially, because I had access to some of these 25,000-odd records that I could fill a space with, then I thought about maybe a store. And that's kind of how it all began, if you like. So where right. is he now? He's still in Darwin. His collection is slimmed right down. I'm going to suggest he has probably about 5,000 maybe, which is, is nothing compared to what he had. Um, I can tell you that um, his, his people in his life are, are, are much happier, I suppose, some are. <laughs> did, you um, make him, could, did you make him rich? Um, I would suggest I did, yes. He would probably tell you maybe otherwise, and he'd be very saddened to, mm. that he, the, all these records um, have gone. But... Um, he does sell them at another place and uh, what, what he has left or what he has doubles, triples of still, and y you'll find him uh, in Darwin, yeah. The shining light is he will no longer be appearing on the next episode of Hoarders. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's, an incredible, he's an incredible guy and he's so incredible that he must have had a crystal ball. We spoke about crystal ball moments earlier because – he didn't only collect records, but he also collected all sorts of stuff. And one of the things he collected, which was really interesting, was remember the old Wu-Tang singlets and basketball singlets from the netted ones from way back in the kind of early 2000s, late 90s? I've tried to forget about them, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're worth a lot of money now, Pete, if you want to, um, you know, okay. my have a look at your yeah. wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he, he told me that he – rescued a lot of these um, pieces of clothing from the gutters and the roadsides of Darwin and took them home. Most people would have just thrown them in the bin or even just wouldn't even take two looks at them back in the day. But he grabbed them, put them through his wash and then kept them for 20 years and then sold them to me. And then I sold them on to people who thought they were the greatest things. Um, wow. So he just, he just had this crystal ball. Um, and now he's on to collecting CDs as well, you know. For example, yes. Pete, he, mm. yeah, yeah, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I, I started out DJing. Actually, my first setup had a tape deck, if you can believe it, CDs and vinyl. But I quickly moved on to just CDs because it was so much easier to transport everything. But as we've talked about before, if you're truly into it, if it's truly your thing, um, there's nothing quite like the sound 
of vinyl and that dirty hot crisp that you were talking about earlier, Liz, mm -hmm. whoever brought that up, there's nothing quite like that crackle of a good, of a good, you know, vinyl album. You know, it's uh, funny you say that because I hate crackles and I hate these background noises. And uh, as as a player of records and a collector, um, I I can't stand it. So uh, for people who who frequent the store, they'll know I've got a degrider, which is a handmade record cleaning device from Estonia that costs a lot of money that really improves the sound quality of records and removes all the foreign objects. And, um, you know, for example, the stylus I'm using now, I think I paid in excess of $1,500, $1,600 for just the stylus. So, mm -hmm. you know, my, my, my audio setups, you know, in the tens of thousands that I, that I use to listen to. So um, I, I'd like to know that I'm listening to vinyl, but not through the sound of these impurities <laughs> of crackles and stuff. However, if, for example, I play one of my mum and dad's albums, you know, I just listen to those crackles and think, imagine the parties that this record's seen. Yeah. So, again, they, they tell a story um, and, and they're, they're, they're living things, you know. They're, 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 yeah, there's nothing quite like the sound, I must admit. But um, when I play a nice jazz record or something, I don't want to hear any background noises. My record player has got a button on it that I can actually, as I'm extracting the audio from whatever the vinyl is, I can actually get rid of all that and I intentionally leave it on because I love it. Oh, good for you, Pete. That's, yeah, each to their own. Um, yeah. But that's the interesting thing too is a lot, not a lot of people realise, but that that little bit, that tiny little tip that actually touches the vinyl, the more money you invest in that, the better the sound you're likely to have. Yeah, and if anyone's listening who are thinking about buying a turntable and getting into the crazy world of record collecting, don't. Um, but if you're crazy enough to do it, my advice is to whatever you spend on the record player, spend that amount of money on the stylus cartridge, essentially. Mm -hmm. Fair so if you're gonna spend the, the good ones used to be called the sure used to be the best. Was that what yeah, was sure, that sure sure is still a good brand. They their main their main market is like the DJing market, uh, the the Shore brand. They're pretty robust. Um, they're they're pretty ah. unbreakable. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> More product placement there, Pete. Tonight on a Shore microphone, my friends. Mm. Are you sponsored by them or? Uh, not at this stage. I'm just working. We will on that. be soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and sure. also, I also want to plug my Barbie turntable. My pink Barbie <laughs> turntable. <laughs> Elaborate, please. Well, if you really like the crackle, I can't, you can't really go past your Barbie turntable, honestly. That's yeah. true. That's because it's okay, a very are, cheap are we, talking, <laughs> are we talking Barbie as in the doll Barbie or Barbie's in barbecue? I didn't know there was a barbecue turntable. Is there a turntable made specially for barbecuing? Oh, look, I'm sure there'd be something out there, something yeah. to do with a barbecue and yeah. a turntable, but. No, um, mine is you, mine is a pink Barbie turntable that goes with the Barbie dream house. Are you serious? It actually works. <laughs> yeah. It did. It, it did when it came out. <laughs> and the and the um, easy bake oven. Can you Sorry, please Ryan, send me, this is a whole new world for you. Can you please send but me your images guy of photos who's got those records, those twenty five thousand records, he would know about this. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he's Incredible. got a bunch of he's got a room full of that stuff. <laughs> 
Okay. Incredible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know one existed, but um, yeah, I'm not across all turntables, but there you go. Okay. Um, that'd be some sort of collector's item now. I'm sure of it. Exactly. And so, I think, so, is it true that Barbie's bringing out a movie? Is that right? Documentary or something soon to celebrate yeah, some anniversary? Yeah, be in it. There's someone, you know who's going to be in it? The Australian, Margot, um, Margot Robbie. Oh, she's Barbie, oh, isn't she? Yeah. yeah, she's Barbie. Yeah, yeah. Makes but sense. look, not to change the subject, back to the cartridges. You want diamonds. You want, is it diamond that you have to get, a diamond stylus? Yeah, diamond tip, yeah. I think. Yeah, so a lot of, even, you know, thirty forty dollar Styluses come with a diamond tip these days. Um, for, for people out there, just avoid plastic ones or hardened plastic. Mm. Uh, they can do more damage than good. And in order to keep the, those tracking, the manufacturers put a downforce which exceeds the recommended rate and uh, can do some real damage to some really um, you know priceless records. So for my advice, the briefcase ones avoid. Anything that has like this hardened plastic tip, avoid. Avoid, um, look, if you're going to start playing records, spend about $300 just on your turntable um, at a bare mm. minimum um, or else you just do damage. You know, I can't. it's crazy. People spend $90 up to, you know, $90, $100 on a brand new record these days, you know, double album or whatever, and they'll mm. put it on a $100 briefcase record player. It's, it's mm. crazy. But they don't know. Um, you know, I see those emails a couple of times mm -hmm. a week from those different distribution outlets. And I think from time to time, even Australia Post have them. Um, you know, you can get a turntable for 50 bucks or 80 bucks or something. But people just don't realize, oh, that's actually going to destroy the vinyl. Not It might play it a few times, but it'll damage it. But if you don't know what you don't know. That's so true. Um, I just applaud anyone who kind of gets into the whole crazy world of record collecting so i don't judge as such i just let people know that they could be doing more damage than um you mm. know good by, by um and you playing them on these you can also buy pretty good brands these days um for for fairly reasonable prices too so as you said you know if you're talking you know, 300 bucks or something like that that's not a lot to spend for a turntable as you well know uh with a decent stylus you, you should be good you know you should be good to and, go and and if a lot of people listening now thinking, well, you know, I need an amp, I need speakers, stuff like that. These days with turntables, most of them have what, what's known as a preamp, which amplifies the sound, which allows people to plug them in straight into active speakers. Now, 95% of the listeners will have an active speaker. They just don't know it in the form Correct. of like a UE, UE boom or a Bluetooth speaker. And literally these turntables will plug uh, or connect via Bluetooth directly to these speakers, and away you go. Yeah. Now, disclaimer, anybody who's really into their music, please don't ring us up and abuse us for leading people down the garden path because if you're really yeah. into this, you can spend tens of thousands of dollars with these setups. But, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a man for the people, Ryan, like yourself. So, you know, this is more the affordable end we're talking about. Yeah, it gets really slippery. Um, and people, you know, spend a lifetime and, and tens, hundreds, thousands of dollars in pursuit of perfection with audio. Um, and some people, they, they, they can never achieve what they think they can never achieve it. What's really interesting, as you obviously get older, your hearing doesn't get better. So, so you know, 
Typically, yeah. you end up making more money as you get older in most cases, but your hearing doesn't get any better. So it's like this mm. crazy, you could you could make this crazy graph of one's going down and one's going up and, you know, expenditure's going up and the yeah, yeah. ability yeah, to hear is going down and uh, it doesn't make any sense. But um, look, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, you know, people, the way I see it, Pete and, and Liz, um, you got um, people who spend, you know, up to $100,000 on a boat and they get a 5.5 meter boat and they get all the gear and the sounders and stuff like that they use it two three times a year it costs them more money over time it breaks mm. down it requires maintenance you could spend you know look you could spend a thousand dollars get yourself a good system you could spend a hundred thousand get your dollars and get yourself a really good system the beauty of them are beauty of, them, of these systems is that once you have them they're yours Typically, they'll last you a lifetime. They require no maintenance. They use a little bit of power, and you can yeah. use them every day. You can sit around with your family and play a record. Everyone can enjoy. You don't mm. really have to worry about them. Um, so, you know, my record player gets used most nights, and just before we we joined this this meeting together, I was playing a bit of um, Merle Haggard, the old Oki from Muskoki, a, a oh, live nice. version. Live version in 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 Muskogee, actually, yeah. What's, what do you have any lounge lizards? No, I don't. No, unfortunately. Yeah, shame. So, what's your go to, Ryan? Uh, I'm going to ask you the same, Liz, because music's one of those things that uh, I think people connect on. Uh, what's your go to couple of uh, albums or artists that you just can't stop listening to and have, have been listening to for all your life. Uh, I'll, I'll start off, if you like, Liz, and, and I want to thank you for bringing up, you know, baby animals. You are halfway there. You've done your research, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I commend you for that. That's uh, that's incredible. Um, I remember sitting on the tractor. You know, I remember music was a big part of our life in a sense that when I was growing up, music was constantly on, the radio was constantly on, and then when I'd go to sleep, every night I'd go to sleep, I would go to sleep with the radio going every single mm. night. And Pete, mm. um, I'm not sure, Liz, if you got it in the States, but I was lucky enough to go through the Pillow Talk era. That was, was it called Pillow Talk. Remember yeah, that? What is that? Yeah, yeah, what is yeah. that? Absolutely. So, so in one of in one of the one of the stations, radio stations, at about nine o'clock or nine thirty on one of the nights a week, they used to get this presenter on and talk about things about sex. And for a young bloke, it was like, wow, you know, they're talking about Naughty. things you yeah, naughty things you wouldn't you know you wouldn't hear typically. So um, anyway, that wasn't the, the the point of that. Just I just remembered it just then. But I'd listen to you know the radio as I was going to sleep. Now, when you're sitting twelve hours in the tractor doing these shifts, you'd get onto all these crazy radio stations with the insomniacs carrying you, on. You need a bit of still... pillow talk after all that. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it still happens today. If anyone dares to listen to ABC into the wee hours of the morning. You'll hear all these crazy people who can't sleep ordinary hours calling up and talking about stuff that probably we're talking about that I'm, you know, taking the piss out of, but we're probably doing the exact same thing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, I remember sitting on the tractor and, and uh, you know, I remember one day it was uh, baby animals come on. It was like three for at three, I think it was. And I was doing an afternoon shift and, you know, it was three baby animal songs, you know, one after the other called the three for at three. And they'd showcase, you know, I don't know, four or five artists in the hour, and that was the three o'clock thing. 
baby animals come on. I had this great um, stereo system in this case tractor, probably worth a couple hundred thousand dollars, and I just cranked it up. And I was just one of those moments, you're on top of the world, you know, baby animals playing three favourite songs. You you work in the land, you're 19 years of age, you know, the, the world's in front of you, and uh, baby animals have always kind of been there for me, and uh, they'll remain there till the end, I suppose. And, uh, really yeah, they're an Aussie, Aussie band, which are very rarely covered, and the reason why they're rarely covered, it's too hard to cover their songs because they're yeah. so tight and they're so technical at what they do. Um, that They had an amazing debut album in 1991 that exceeded all the charts and it was the highest-selling debut album until Jet come along with their album some, yeah, well, you know, 15 years later or yeah, something. Yeah, a long time later. And, and it remains really relevant today. Um, and, you know, you could almost argue it was one of the last rock and roll albums ever made before that hideous genre grunge come to the scene, which I can't stand, and killed mm. rock and roll. Um, you know, so baby animals for me. Um, I, nice. they're forever in my hearts and uh, in my heart. And uh, just on the other side of that, I was playing, you know, a bit of Merle Haggard. I love country music, and uh, oh, that'll be forever in my heart as well, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got a new appreciation for country music when I watched the uh, Brisbane Lions play at the Gabba a few weeks ago, and Charlie Cameron kicked six. And of course, yeah. every time the home team gets a goal, they play the requested song from the player who kicked it. So Charlie oh. uh, loves that Country Roads by uh, oh, John yeah. Denver. That was playing all yeah. night. We were mm. singing at the top of our voices. Well, Pete, so, if you want to um, explore uh, uh, um, Johnny Denver, come to the shop. I'll give you a good <laughs> discount on um, about <laughs> – about a hundred of his five dollar records, mate. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, I'm getting it's hard to move the John Denver. Look, it's not hard to move it. It's just that obviously he was popular at a time when people mm. bought records. So there's so many, and typically record collecting works on a supply and demand mm. kind of way, just like everything does. Mm. And when there's so many, you keep say, seeing the same record all the time. It, it loses its face value, and mm. people don't really appreciate it as much. Um, I can say I'm not. I'm a bit more into the Twain country than the Johnny Denver, which I'd call the more pop country. That you know, the Johnny Cashes, the more pop. I don't go for pop country. I go for like mm. the hillbilly, hillbilly yeah, kind yeah. of bluegrassy kind of country that not that many people really go for. Yeah. Well, you know and it's I mean? so different in different parts of the, of the of the South. I mean, you know, there's yeah. there's uh, Memphis and there's Austin and there's you know I don't know where else, but it, the, the music is not the same in those different yeah. in those places. Yeah, that's right. And and now um, countries, the genre has been really challenged through these these pop releases. I call them pop releases that are coming out. And people kind of think they're listening to country, but if you tore it all apart, you'd find that there's more pop involved with these songs than there is country. So Couldn't they, agree more. And, and good on them, you know, they're picking up, you know, little bits and pieces, but I, I challenge them to listen to some Dwight Yoakam or some Brooks and Dunn or some yes. Clint Black or something. And, and Butch, um, Butch and, Hancock. Uh, yeah, and, and get get around that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, steer away from the more mainstream stuff and, and test your ears on that um, because, yeah, it's, it's a genre been around for a very, very long time, you know, extremely long time, and a lot of genres can draw their roots from, from country music. They can't deny yeah. that. 
Yeah. yeah, just on that, and we'll move on because I don't want to kick her while she's down. But it does my head in every year that Taylor Swift actually has the gall to get up and win the best country album or song or whatever when she hasn't been in the country space arguably at all, but certainly since the start of her career. It's like just leave that for someone else who actually is genuinely putting out country music. Yeah, look, uh, she's she's um, Taylor Swift, or the and the Swifties. They're their own um, their own movement, their own thing, and yeah. she's a she's a she's a force. And uh, wow, um, I just got off the phone recently to a representative from Record Store Day, which is actually coming up this weekend, which mm. um, is a time that all independent record stores around the world celebrate. And oh, ha- happy Record Store Day to you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. And for anybody listening, he's running 99% discounts all weekend. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we may as well be, and, and we can talk about that in a moment. But uh, what's really interesting is there's been a bit of a, a slowing down in, in record sales recently, and it's probably due to the fact they're the most non-essential item on the planet. Um, right. and and I spoke to this representative from Record Store Day and she said a lot of the record stores down south in Australia um, really have to have to um, applaud or, or, or their survival has has come because of the sale of Harry Styles and Taylor Swift albums. Wow. True story. True story. Because they're on vinyl. Because they're on vinyl and people are prepared to pay yeah. a lot of money for these for these yeah, albums. Yeah. So yeah. That's what she told me because uh, I think, you know, stores down south are facing the same kind of challenges that I have been recently. And she just said, of a course. lot of them have said, without Taylor Swift and without um, Harry Styles, they may not exist. So good, they good moved them in. standing up for Taylor. I like it. No, I don't mind Taylor. Uh, I, got, I do too. I've got nothing against her. And no doubt she's she's not going to, uh, you know, be bothered listening to this podcast. But um, no. <laughs> Oh, we'll send it to her. We'll we'll um we'll tag her on it. Okay, tag her on. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, and and any Swifties out there listening, um, good on yous. Uh, they're they're wow, they're dedicated fans uh, among the most dedicated for any person, whether it be a sports they person are. or they yeah. they they're, they're dedicated so much that they you know give up their last table scraps if they were you know starving to death for a pair of her embroidered socks. You know, it's mm, it's incredible. The whole. So, the whole merch movement of Taylor Swift is just something else, yeah. And to understand that industry, I was watching a Sean Mendes uh, documentary the other day, and like he he too, I think, is a great. He has an amazing voice and lots of hits that a lot of people wouldn't even realise are his. But it staggered me. He did a hundred and four show tour in whenever it was. It was around the COVID era, and. It just staggered me. There would be thousands of people at out the front of all of his hotels, chanting and singing, and you know, just hoping for a glimpse of glimpse of him looking out the window from twenty five floors up or whatever. Um, and then every now and then, you know, he'd be out on the street or whatever and run into two or three people. It just it staggers you how loyal these people's followers are. Mm. And. You know, on that subject, well, I'm going to have to say that I, I get fangirl, um, you know, I, I get a bit fangirl when, you know, the likes of Private Function come to Darwin or, you know, these <laughs> bands come to Darwin. So, you know, 
I get it. I kind of get it. You know, Pete, I get it. Uh, they play. So, yeah, I get it. I, I wouldn't go so far as to, you know, try and get every single thing mm. they ever bring out on, Mer- you know, cassette. You know, I'm not really a completionist, but there's so many Swifties out there who will do anything to get every single thing she's ever released. And, and uh, probably they have shrines in their houses, mm. you know, for, for Taylor. But good on her. Good on her. She's found herself a market yeah. and, and, and good luck to her and good on her. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Liz, hit us with your uh, best shot, Pat Benatar. Come on. on. When I was in eighth grade, I bought myself an amplifier and a turntable and good speakers. And then I spent the next four years in my bedroom with the bright green carpet dancing. And it was Bruce Springsteen and it was Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And it was... um, Elton John was pretty good and Procol Harum and the Stones and um, who else? Credence. And then I did, I went to graduate school, but you know what? I have a real weakness for Crystal Blue Persuasion by Tommy James and the Shondells. Um, wow. Mitch Ryder, Mitch, uh, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Um, we had some amazing hits. Um, and um, look, Sly and the Family Stone were good, you know. I mean, there's so many. And um, and then I went to graduate school in Austin, and the music scene there was amazing. And that's how that's how I found out about the Lounge Lizards. They were great because we'd go to Liberty Lunch and we'd listen. So it wasn't it was it was live music. And um, who else? Nancy Griffith. Do you know Nancy Griffith, Ryan? Do you have Nancy Griffith records? No. You'll have to educate me there. Sorry. He's amazing. And um, yeah, look, it was, it was a, you know, I've had a good music life. And now I've been trying for the past few years to learn more about um, classical music because I think it's somehow good for me. And, um, and I love Vivaldi. I really love Vivaldi. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So um, I've got a proposition for you, Liz. Um, I've got Mm. around about maybe 5,000 classical records. Ooh. Um, would you like to come to my storage unit and pick out whatever you want? Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, but I've got I would yeah. have to put it on that damaging Barbie turntable. So it's probably I'll have to I'll have to buy a new turntable. Okay. I would love that. It'd be worth he, it. Yes. Here's here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'll 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 give you a thousand classical records and uh, I, you buy a turntable off me. How's that fantastic. sound? Fantastic. Shall do. Thank yeah. you. Great. So who's up next on Buy, Swap and Sell this evening? <laughs> um, now yes. I've got to get rid of that. I've got to move the Barbie turntable. You do. You need to get yeah. rid no, of don't, 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 don't. It's collectible. <laughs> don't, don't sell it locally, though, because they know the downside to it. Um, <laughs> Liz, did you ever get to anywhere? And, you know, I'm just thinking Jersey. Did you ever get to anywhere like Studio Fifty Four or? Oh yeah, we used to go to CBGB yeah. Mud Club. Oh wow! And um, but you could because one of my um boyfriends was in a was in a band and he had you know what were they that was like in the times of Blondie and you know I love and, those things. One of my boyfriends was in a band. It was the Street Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. They were they were pretty pretty pitiful. But um, no, not that he would think that. But um, but we but you had to wait until you I don't you know I guess it's like this everywhere. But you had to wait until like one or two in the morning. That was yeah. when the show would start. So you'd you'd rock up, um, you know, at, at, and the show would start at two in the morning, and then go go Nothing until six or so. Nothing happens before midnight. 
No, no. But um, and, and then and, and I remember what happens after midnight. No, but I remember <laughs> Elton John at um at Madison Square Garden, and the whole place wow. was like just sort of shaking. Um, mm. Up in the stands because it was so the music was so loud and moved everything. I went to see Procol Harum at Madison Square Garden, but it wasn't it wasn't like Elton John. Anyway, my sister did go to Woodstock, but not me. I was too little then. Wow. Yeah, I was just a babe. <clears throat> but no we words. haven't been able to verify whether she had a good time or not, have we? I don't think she would remember. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think anyone did. Did anyone have a good time at Woodstock? Actually, no, I, don't I, don't know. I saw the Woodstock documentary oh, a few years ago. With the guy that did the Woodstock '99 or '95 or whatever it was. Yeah, '99. Like, I've listened to that podcast. It's yeah. gone for about fifty or something, and it continues. the The founders of that podcast they kind of come and go, but what remains is these horror stories that yes. people call call in about and say, "Hey, I've got this story for you," and they get them on yeah. as guests yeah. and they recall their time at. at, at at uh, Woodstock '99, and for those listeners it was out a there, disaster, man. what is Woodstock '99? Well, the guy that did the original Woodstock was convinced by a bunch of promoters <laughs> that he should redo it. Well, that's <laughs> and they got and this airfield. Um, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was yes, all Asheville. It was. The state was were, were, were miles apart. There was no water or very, very much a lack of water. There was uh, a lack of organisation and pretty much was a disaster full of jock um, blokes who, who were into their new metal who um, were not really nice, let's just say that. Um, no, the whole thing no. was pretty pretty much a disaster. And, and I, but I isn't don't that think, what a rock uh, concert is supposed to be? I mean, well, it will, oh, I mean, there was no shelter, oh, there was no water, the food prices were just things, like, Things Ridiculous. things were set alight. They 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 were hell bent on destruction. Um, in the it wasn't in the a end, they burnt place. it to the ground. It wasn't a safe place. Um, yeah. I think some. I think even some performers refused to perform or got the hell out of there real quick. I know a few of them. You know, mid song would hey say stop. You know, stop burning stuff, and no one listened to them. Uh, it's a real. I think you someone know, died it, too, didn't they? I think you'd have to think so. Um, the antics were going on. I don't think was, there was much good about it, to be honest. Didn't didn't wasn't that movie about the Stones concert? Give me shelter. Didn't some wasn't someone killed at their concert at Altamont? And then they it was all about Maybe. how that went down. I don't know, but I heard that song yesterday, and every time I hear that song, it grows on me more. I absolutely love that song. And if someone comes up to me at a gig and says, oh, can you play Rolling Stones or whatever, I would never think to play it. But it's just one of those songs that whenever I hear it, I think, oh, God, that's mm. a good song. It's just the way it starts and, the yeah, just the use of certain instruments. It's it's an amazing track. Peter, can it, can we can we have a podcast where we just play music? Let's uh, have a yeah, podcast. Sure. <laughs> if you want to pay the copyright on the songs, no problems. <laughs> Is that what? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, radio stations was... pay a lot of money for a reason, Liz. <laughs> we did, we did play a couple of songs though. Um, when when we interviewed a couple of local musicians uh, who played their own songs. So, so if, cool. yeah. okay, so if if on Desert Island Discs people play a few, you know, different songs, they have to pl- pay the copyright on all those. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. and so there was a big um, and something to do with um, like even on hold music when you ring a business, you know how you always hear that those same old three or four songs. Mm. 
is because a few years ago, APRA, who are the Performing Rights Association here in Australia, they basically targeted businesses and said, well, they can't just play the radio for free. And they, they started charging businesses a lot of money in order to have that on-hold music. So unless you've got the rights to it, you can't play, I think it's more than seven seconds of a song. And once it hits that trigger point, then you have to have to pay for it. So yeah, and interestingly, uh, I think Australia is setting the um, pace in relation to some social media. I don't know exactly which one it is, but I know you can combine your own videos or your own photographs with snippets of songs. Yep. Uh, obviously, you know it's infringing upon, you know, um, you know, there's there's some intellectual property and whatever licensing and stuff going on there, and I think. From what I'm reading in the news, um, Australia's setting the pace and trying to ban it. Or is that right, Pete? Would you know, or Liz? Do you know more? About yeah, it that? makes sense. TikTok basically started it, and um, how they got around it, I don't know. But you know, previously, if you put a um, like, if I DJed a gig, for example, and people were dancing and I wanted to play that video what would happen is you'd upload the video, say, to Facebook, and then after about an hour, it would say the audio content on that video has now been restricted because it fails copyright. So then TikTok came out, and basically you can play any song you want on their platform. And so now with Instagram, if you upload a photo, it'll then say to you, would you like to put a song with it? And you can pick the songs. I've uh, Literally, it was only a few days ago I was thinking – how are they getting away with this? Because surely the artists aren't getting paid for this. But I don't know whether Instagram's done some deal. I'm not sure. I know historically DJs, jukebox operators, you know, karaoke companies and that, they had to play a pay licensing fees. But that's that has recently gone out the door and now the venues have to pay the fees. So if you're appearing at a venue, you don't have to pay the licensing fee anymore. The venue does. Mm, interesting. So, yeah, I, I don't know how they're getting around that, to be honest. But um, to be to also be frank, I, I love I love people's uh, photos and stuff with music a lot more than when it's just silent. So I think it's an improvement, but I don't know how long it's going to survive for. That's my personal opinion anyway. Right, I'm going to ask you this question. Because because I know that you're going to hate telling me the answer, and there won't be an answer because I'd be exactly the same. But what's your favourite song or artist? Well, we know <laughs> the, it's the it's well, we, the Baby Animals. Oh, okay. I would say Baby Animals probably my favourite favourite artist. Uh, uh, yeah, favourite song. Nah, yeah. sorry, That's it fun. depends on the day. It depends yeah. on the day. Okay, today my favourite song is Oki from Muskoki. Okay, because <laughs> when I was when I was about 10, I used to live up the road from a, a mate of mine who was grown up by his grandfather. His father was, was killed. Uh, he got shot, actually, um, in a small town of Echuca. And his uh, grandfather grew him up, and he used to have a playroom in this big house where he used to live. And we used to go down there and put on um, this record and that song all the time. Mm. And, yeah, I, I bought a collection recently, and it was in the collection, and I – I do have a copy, but it's I don't know where it is, and uh, I thought I'd just play it tonight and bring back some memories of, of that. Song. So, yeah, and and you know we knew we had no idea what it meant, you know, Oki from Muskoki. 
We don't know mm. Oki and Muskogee. You know, we yeah, don't know yeah. Muskogee. No. But we, it's got a nice kind of rhythm to it. And um, and Merle Haggard, you can't go past his voice. And, you know, mm. and I can kind of relate to it in a way, you know, the lyrics and the, the content. Yeah. Um, but but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun song. Um, get around it if you haven't listened to it. Have it. Have a listen. So I'll, probably written in it. Would you say sixties? I don't know. It'd have to be sixties, wouldn't it, Liz? Or well, it reminds me of that song. Uh, when I say reminds me of, they don't sound anything alike. But um, uh, as a kid, my parents went overseas and came back with hundreds of tapes that they'd bought from somewhere, and there was a couple of them that were country music. And that song was on the same tape as that. You know that song, Convoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um. Um, McCall, McCall, yeah. is it Tom, Tom McCall or something? Yeah, yeah. is it the artist? Yeah, yeah, and that. So yeah. those two songs and some John Ven- John Denver, they all yeah. remind me of that era. So I, I don't know if it was sixties or seventies, but yeah, certainly when I was listening to it, it was in the seventies. So, um, Liz, what's, what's your question. favorite song? I'm what's just looking up song? where I'm just looking at the lyrics. These are amazing lyrics from Oki from Muskogee. You're yeah, they're, they're, the they're so they're cool, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, like you, it's for me. It's 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 every it's different, you know. Every every yeah. day, you know, like I, you know, because there's so many amazing things to listen to, and and if you haven't heard something in a while and it comes up, you just go, "Wow, I yes. totally forgot about yeah. that." Yes. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. what, what what's incredible about music too? This is one thing I find really incredible is you've got. You know, music's been around for a very long time, extremely long time, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And the thing is with music, I sometimes I'll find myself listening to a song I haven't heard for 20 years, but I can sing every lyric mm. to that song. Yes. And you could, turn the music, you could turn the music off and I'd still know every single lyric, okay? It's incredible. Now, you can... You can learn, let's say, a page of a book, yeah, and you can read it. You can read that page ten times, twenty times, thirty times. I remember it. You'll you'll forget it the next day, the next day. Yeah, so true. And you talk about you talk about indigenous people around the world. You know all about song and dance and repetition. Um, and what what you got to ask yourself is, you know, these people carried these stories for tens of thousands of years. How did they do it? They didn't sit there in front of a board and lecture the next, the younger <laughs> generation about no. learning this and learning that. What they did, they put it into song, they put it into dance, and it's can and can be recited over and over again w- without any errors um, over time w- when it hasn't been performed. You know, and and I think all these, you know, I was listening to songs from the early two thousands the other day, thinking, wow, how do I know these lyrics? You just know them. Yeah, that's true. It, it, song, song, and music is a really, really interesting thing like that, and no doubt someone's done the science, and I'm not clever enough to kind of really understand it. But it's an incredible, incredible that we can remember these things. Like I can't well, remember a lot of things, but I can remember the tune, the lyrics, the songs that I haven't heard for twenty years. That's incredible. Yeah. Don't you think that's incredible? Oh, it absolutely is, and, and and you're right. Like a song will come on the radio, and I'll be driving around, and I'll start singing it, and the kids will go, "Do you know this song?" And I'll go, "Yeah," and I might not even remember the name of the song or the artist, but I'll remember the words. 
it is it is very true the the um ways that art the the movement of making art enters our bodies and the way that music enters our you know filters through and 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 is in our bodies and the way we the way we process things you're right i mean in our educational system um you know and being a being a teacher myself it just it just it, it i i find it more and more frustrating that we as what what you said ryan that we we stand and we sit in front of boards and we look at you know black characters on a page and you know all those things are great human inventions but you know there's so much more and um and mm. and that we that we connect with and that that moves us and yeah it's um it's beautiful i think you i think, I think it, that's the word it's that it's it's cliche but connection like um we draw a lot of what we know and how we learn from instinct you know it, it's many thousands of years of instinct and you know people have been doing this for a long time and it's it's you're right it's the way we connect it's a we don't connect historically by sitting in front of you know a chalkboard if you like and, and getting someone to lecture a class that's not how we did things so mm. it speaks for itself in that in that sense and maybe there's educators out there who could um speak quite highly and um and, and and you know, give us some experience of how they've taught people through music, different things. Yeah. The other thing with music too is I I learned this when I originally got into radio, but most people their their key listening eras for music is from about the age of around ten to about twenty five. So the music within your life that has formed and shaped you know, even to what you listen to today would generally come in that time period and 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 liz as, as an educator would that have a direct correlation with the time that someone is doing the the, the more deeper learning mm. and, and and absorbing would that would that be a fair thing to say or I don't know. I don't know enough about how the brain develops, but you'd certainly think so, wouldn't you? But hopefully we can do it all our lives. I was listening to another guy talking about disability. It's He was talking about the theology of disability. And he was saying that, you know, we, we say that people who can read and write well, you know, oh, they, they somehow achieve and they're high achievers and they, but, but we discount all the other ways that we process information and that we move and that we feel and that, uh, that we, you know, so someone who, you know, we all know someone who is blind develops their other senses much better. You know, someone who maybe doesn't process information as well reading develops other their senses in other ways. And, you know, I just, I, yeah, I just feel like, like we've so narrowed how mm. we, how we live in the way we educate and we, we institutionalize human life. And yeah, yeah, what you're, what, what you're doing is, um, is is really expansive and that's and it's great so starting yeah, in 2024 I've... liz will be teaching the <laughs> first law degree done, With, done purely through song through tommy james, james and the shondells yeah, yeah, yeah. constitution yeah I, I can't say that uh you know i'm the creator of it i'm just the kind of purveyor if you like but um yeah yeah you've got to thank all those musicians and, and artists out there who um some are successful and some aren't and some you know they live a tortured life through music and uh yeah we've really got to thank them i suppose yeah well there are yeah, all different so, ways of making it happen 
Yeah, that's so true. And you've got to have all aspects for the thing to come together like a, a big jigsaw puzzle. I get that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, we really appreciate your time, your story, and your chit-chat about some things that we're also very interested in. Yeah. Um, um, it's been great. This is uh, the first time I've done anything like this, um, by the way, to all the listeners and viewers out there. I can't believe anyone would be even half interested in something I've got to say, to be honest. And I'm just going to put it out there, right? So if anyone listening to this wants to come and see me in my shop and get a good discount, mentioned, just mention that you've heard this podcast or, or uh, you've, you've watched our hour and whatever of, of silliness on this um, on this video, and I'll, I'll really look after you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> is, it, is there an asterisk next to that? They have to be a new no. customer, not a current one? <laughs> no, it can be a current one. Um, it's just I will put a little disclaimer. Um, probably not give such a huge discount on new vinyl just because there's not much in it in the margins. But, um, look, gotcha. I'll, I'll, de I'll definitely look after you. And um, I really appreciate coming on this show. Um, I, I feel like the, uh, it's um, – I've I've kind of got my wings now, and I, I've uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for breaking me in if if you like, and uh, and and really nice to meet meet you, Liz, and I'll see you down the storage uh, container in Woolner. <laughs> great to see and, you. And um, bring 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 a truck. And um, yeah. uh, look, no, to be honest, I, I I don't mind a bit of classical music. I can really appreciate it. It's really undervalued, and some of the most amazing manufactured pressings are that of classical music. And also, on, on that same kind of note, if you look up the marketplace for record collecting, some of the most expensive vinyls are actually sold are classical ones in the, in the thousands, in the thousands. Mm. But it's that small percentage that um, people want. Um, there's, a, there's a lot there that um, people are not too interested in. But um, let, let's, let's meet up sometime and we'll, we'll go through it and we'll have some fun. I would love that. Thank you. And stay tuned for the new music podcast featuring Pete and Ryan coming soon. Cheers, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for doing so much, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, that Peter. Was, that was Ryan Sage on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Peter and the Professor. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.